Hi, this is John. This week, Steve and I are tackling 1977's Star Wars. Last week saw the 40th anniversary celebration of its release, and Steve and I knew there'd be a bunch of podcasts, articles, and TV specials. So we thought we'd let you enjoy and savor those for a week before we hit you with our analysis. And we knew we needed some help for this one. So we asked our frequent guest and fellow massive Star Wars fan, Michael Vogel, to join us again on the podcast. Written and directed by George Lucas and starring Mark Hamill, Carrie Fisher, Harrison Ford, Sir Alec Guinness, Peter Cushing, and the voice of James Earl Jones. As many of you know, I've hosted two podcasts dedicated to the celebration of the Star Wars franchise. And I've even lost a schmodown match because of it. And this is the movie that started it all. Considered one of the greatest films ever made and one that definitely changed the landscape of cinema forever. Steve and I, and Michael, are proud to give it the Cinephiles treatment. That's Star Wars, this week on The Cinephiles. Welcome once again to The Cinephiles, where each week we enter the world of a great film. We explore its themes, the history, the filmmaking, and the influence it has on us today. My name is Steve Morris. I'm a filmmaker and directing instructor in Los Angeles, California. Hello, everyone. My name is John Roca. I'm a voiceover artist, host of shows here in Los Angeles, and occasionally an actor on your television or on, in your local multiplex. No, it's not true. I'm, <laughs> I'm only ever heard on TV or seen on TV. Like, rarely do I appear on film. Um, well, film is a dying medium, so maybe that's just... <laughs> that's why we're, just, we're, we're yeah. desperately doing this show to bring it back. <laughs> just yes. hoping, just hoping. And we are very happy to welcome, I think, our most frequent guest to the podcast. Yes, um, he, he's a member of the Five Timers Club. Yeah, we should bring yeah. out the robe for yeah. him, I think. Yeah, you you and Alec Baldwin and Paul Simon. <laughs> yeah, Paul Simon. I mean, it's, um, a, it's, a, it's a very exclusive group, but <laughs> we discussed it at our Five, five Club meeting, and uh, we're very excited. <laughs> so you've already uh, probably recognized the voice. We're welcoming back Michael Vogel, producer, uh, writer, and executive in animation, a pony expert. Um, and you have the Pony movies coming out fairly soon, isn't it? it? I guess, yeah, actually, it is coming out pretty soon. My Little Pony, the movie, is coming out this October, mm. uh, beginning of October this year. So, yeah, keep an eye out for that. Wow. There's yeah. lots of ponies and lots of rainbows. <laughs> um, and the reason we have Mike here today is that we have, I think, one of our most important movies of all time. Yes. is having its 40th anniversary. was uh, last Friday. Yeah. And if you are younger than 40 and saw it on home video called Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. Yes. And if you are like me, older than 40, 40 and saw it in the movie theater, <laughs> this movie is called Star Wars. <laughs> period. That's it. Yeah, period. Um, and, uh, you know, I can't, I can't even begin to say how important this film is to film history, to geek history, yeah. to, you know, this is a groundbreaking moment in cinema. I, I think it's fair to say that this might be one of the most important films of all time ever. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. There's Probably no question very, about very it. true, yeah. yeah. And we, we didn't want to do it, like last week, we didn't want to do it during the 40th anniversary because everyone was doing that. So we wanted to take a, a break. We wanted to kind of stand out, so we wanted to wait a week and do ours, and we wanted to get Michael lined up as a guest to talk about this with us. Well, and, and as I told you, John, yeah. I think this is the podcast I've been most nervous about. Wow. Yeah, okay. and, and the reason is, is because Star Wars, 
unlike the Black Stallion or you know a lot of the other movies we talked about, Star Wars has been picked over more than really any movie that I can think of. Yeah, and and, and the property of Star Wars has podcasts and books and no- novelizations and mm-hmm. and design books and art books and photo books and mm-hmm. comic books. It is so. There's so much energy put into analyzing Star Wars yeah. that I was nervous of like, okay, what is the cinephiles going to add? Yeah, I mean, like, what can we bring to Star Wars that hasn't already been discussed ad nauseum? Right, and I said to Steve, I said, no one's, we've never discussed it. Therefore, we are bringing our unique perspective to the film. And so yeah. that's what makes, that's what people tune in to listen to us, to have our unique experience with the film, our unique insights into the film. And for that reason alone, I told Steve, I was like, don't worry about it. It's going to be our podcast. We're going to do it our way. And if people are going to enjoy it, they're going to enjoy it. And this is why John is my, my guru, you know, <laughs> like my Zen guru for this. No, it really, you know, he talked me down a little bit off the ledge. And, and speaking of our unique experience, Michael, how yes. did you first come to Star Wars? Actually... I was born in December of 1977, and even though I do not remember, Star Wars was the first movie my parents took me to. They drove to the drive-in theater in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and I sat there quietly while they watched Star Wars in a drive-in theater, and I'm convinced... That even though I do not remember it at all, <laughs> it had a profound effect on me. Clearly, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I don't, uh, I, I don't, I don't remember. But I've been told that story, and then I actually also remember then several years later uh, when I was at that younger age, where I was like, I, I wanted, I wanted to be cool, but like, I still wasn't really cool and my dad was like let's watch the star wars and i'm like i'm not watching this old movie and he just put it on like the i think probably the beta uh the beta the betamax tape (laughs) and for the first like half hour i kind of hung out in the kitchen not paying attention quote unquote and then eventually just went in and was like what is this amazing amazing thing and was just obsessed from that point on and then i grew up at the exact right age like i bought every toy in the world yeah I bought every toy. We had Princess Leia shampoo holders. We had everything. I mean, we, if there was a Star Wars thing, like it was purchased in our house. I had Star Wars sheets. I had everything. Wow. How about you? Uh, For me, I came to it, uh, I was old enough to have gone to the theater to see this, but my parents didn't take me. So I watched it as a, think, a CBS movie of the week. Yeah. Back then, they used to do those, like the big, you know, they'd have they'd yeah, it was a big it. event. Yeah, it's usually on a Sunday night or Friday night movie of the week, and you know, the family would get together. So that was my first experience with it. I think it was on CBS Movie of the Week on a Sunday night. I had not seen Empire Strikes Back. You know, back then it took like a year or almost a year and a half sometimes for a film to leave the theater and then be broadcast on primetime television. Sure. And so for me, I remember like just all week. Just anticipating this Sunday night to see it with my family. I had a Jedi robe, you know. I had everything that, like, a bathrobe that my parents had bought me. So I was already into Star Wars even before totally I seen the Star Wars. Totally picturing you in a Jedi robe right now <laughs> with a big bull haircut. It was all there, and I just <laughs> no. Rem- I'm picturing you right, right now. <laughs> and I just remember like just sitting ahead of everyone else on the ground. Face almost inside the television, just watching this whole thing. And when Kenobi dies, how uh, destroyed I was and crying and yelling and I couldn't believe it. And uh, it was just an amazing experience. It's always stuck with me, you know. And then when Luke hits the shot, I remember jumping up and down on our ottoman at 10 years or whatever. Uh, in, nine, the 10 years. In, in the robe. In the robe, yes. Jumping up and down the ottoman, just screaming, going, yes, yes. So that's, that's these awesome. are the memories I have. That's awesome. It's funny. It just occurs to me as you said that. Yeah. That, 
they don't show movies on network TV anymore. Mm-mm. You Not know? really, no. Yeah, with pay, with pay channels mm-hmm. and with home video and obviously with iTunes and Amazon Prime and all that stuff. There's yeah. no reason to. And so these events where the whole world was coming together because you know what? Yeah. I have no idea, but I probably watched it on CBS the same night as you did. Right. Yeah. Three hours later because I was on the West Coast, but other than that, same thing. <laughs> What's CBS? It's right, good, exactly. It's a good don't let Les Moonves hear you say that. <laughs> he's very powerful and he's not that far from me. Yeah, he can literally hear us. <laughs> he's like across the street. Yeah, he is. <laughs> um, so for me, um, Star Wars comes out in 1977. I was nine years old or eight and a half at mm-hmm. that point and that was the summer that my parents took us on our great vacation they took us to alaska and we you know drove up to seattle we flew to anchorage we had this amazing vacation the most memorable vacation of my childhood and i had no idea that i was missing this movie and then immediately as i came back from vacation the next day they sent me off to summer camp so then i spent two weeks at summer camp hearing nothing but stuff about this movie Mm. and how amazing it is and it wasn't until i got back from summer camp that i finally got to see star wars and i don't think i jumped up and down on the chair in the theater when luke (laughs) made the the shot because i was kind of shy but i know i wanted to i mean it was a really really big movie for me yeah so let's talk a little bit about we got to start with george lucas george lucas he grows up in modesto he's a geeky kid no yes he loves loves those flash gordon movies all that kind of stuff loves comic books comes down to usc my alma mater goes to film school there and he's part of this generation of film school directors starting with francis ford coppola and a bunch of other people who's Rather than you know the previous generation, there was no film school. But now in the late 60s, we start to get these people coming out of film school. He makes a student film called THX 1138, mm-hmm. which is, as a guy who's made student films and watches student films all the time, <laughs> this is a really, really impressive short. He goes and makes a feature version of THX 1138, mm-hmm. which, have you guys seen it? Yeah, the Robert yeah. Duvall one, yeah. Yeah, not, not a movie I love. Not as good. It's it's it it show the one thing it does clearly show is George Lucas's great eye. Mm-hmm. He has a great sense of design and he has a great visual style. And it also shows maybe some of the weaknesses of George Lucas too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but after that, he makes a movie uh, uh, all about sort of car culture where he grew up, and that's American Graffiti, which is a really good movie. Yes, um, and uh, that gives him just enough juice that he gets the deal to make Star Wars. Um, no, I was actually just going to say also before we get into the movie movie, uh, which there's plenty to talk about. I think another thing where when we talk about how important Star Wars is to us personally in our lives and stuff, as someone who worked at Hasbro for several years and has worked on a lot of brands such as Transformers mm-hmm, and stuff mm-hmm. like that, uh, you know, Star Wars is also in addition to being one of the most uh, popular pop culture films of all time, the reason that we have action figures. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, like that was one of the coolest things that I think about Star Wars is just the fact that you know young. George Lucas goes into Fox and he goes, hey, can I have the toy rights to this movie? And they laughed at him and were like, yeah, nobody makes money off of toys. <laughs> well, it's not just toys. All merchandising. Yeah. yeah, all, yeah. Mer- all of merchandising. And then the fact Your that Your bathrobe. He, yes, my bathrobe. He, all all, all my, my bed sheets. Yeah. Um, but the fact that he then, you know, that was the era of the 12-inch G.I. Joe figure and Barbie dolls. And he was like, well, if I want to make an X-Wing and a TIE Fighter and a Millennium Falcon... I can't have a 12-inch tall Han Solo. Right. I'm going to make them this big. Oh, wow. So that I can make all the vehicles. And so he did that. Kids went insane. Right. Bought everything in the world, which led to Hasbro and Mattel and these companies going, huh, so if you make up a crazy fantasy story and put the characters in it and make them this big so you can make vehicles and play sets, you'll make a lot of money. 
interesting. And that literally <laughs> led directly to our childhood of the 80s yeah. of He-Man, Thundercats, G.I. Joe, Transformers, everything. And even Care Bears, Strawberry yeah. Shortcake, My Little Pony, and everything else, which were the girl versions of those brands. Because all of those TV shows in the 80s were a direct result of like, well, we're not going to pay for a giant movie, but we're going to make up a bunch of characters and stories and put them there so that kids can play them. Because wow. that's what Star Wars proved kids wanted to do. Yeah. Well, and even to this day, and something you could talk about more than anybody else, where... In some situations where the toy drives the show more than the show drives the toy. Yeah. You know, and that can be, that can result in some great toys and great television, and right. it can result in some bad television. But I will too. tell you also that when you sit in these meetings, like when you have meetings even today about uh, a new, a brand new TV show, brand new toy line, brand new whatever. People will still, when they talk about vehicles, well, what is our Millennium Falcon? Yeah. Like nobody has wow, actually wow. ever beat the Millennium Falcon as a vehicle that has so much personality mm -hmm. that kids love the vehicle regardless of who's flying it. Like, you'd be like, and uh, this is nice, this plane is nice, but it's only good mm -hmm. if this character's in it or it's this. But, like, in toy meetings, people will be like, all right, this is great. What's our Millennium Falcon? Well, to be fair, it made the Kessel Run in 12 parsecs. So really, I mean, like, <laughs> it's true. It's, it's, very, it's very true. I think that's the main thing kids like about it. Um, <laughs> Um, and we go off into to cast this film, which is a real problem. It takes six months to cast. They bring wow. in all sorts of people, including people like Kurt Russell, William Catt. Yeah. Um, and during this whole time of casting, who's being the reader with a lot of these people is Harrison Ford, huh. um, who had been in American Graffiti. And George Lucas's rule was, I'm never going to use the same actors in my movies. So mm -hmm. Harrison Ford can't be in this film. They find Mark Hamill, who's probably the one true geek who comes into the film, yeah. he's the one who's excited about this movie because he gets it. <laughs> Everybody else who comes onto this film, they are not excited about it. They think it's a piece of crap, right. to be honest. Uh, they find Carrie Fisher. Uh, Carrie Fisher definitely doesn't like the script. <laughs> Her description of the script was, you can type these words, but you can't say them. <laughs> and, and you could hear throughout the movie, yeah, there's some tough lines in here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But I think that's what the that's why the movie is so beloved. I think also and the and why the original trilogy is so beloved is because those three actors found a way to make that dialogue live and feel natural and feel logical, and you could enjoy it, even though you're watching, you're listening to that dialogue, going, "Who no human speaks like this? You don't. This doesn't make any sense." But and, and when you watch Titanic in juxtaposition. They're doing, they're doing their best with that dialogue in the James Cameron's dialogue, and it's not well, great. Or in even Titanic. like, I mean, you have to you have to really give it to them because yeah. jumping ahead to you know the prequels, yeah, where you have some very very good actors and actresses, yeah. also having a lot of trouble with Lucas's dialogue. It really kind of makes Carrie Fisher and Harrison Ford and Mark Hamill all the more impressive that yeah. they just sold it. Yeah. Well, the other the other difference I think is that in in the original Star Wars, they threw out lines, good, and they improvise improvise new lines. <laughs> No, Good. I'm just yeah. saying because... Whereas by the time you get to the prequels, George that's Lucas what, has so much power... That's why I that say he's good. like, no, you're going to say it exactly yeah. as I wrote it, and yeah. you get these speeches that are just right. brutal. Right. Brutal. Um, the one classy actor they get, the big name, is Alec Guinness. Yeah. What, Sir Alec Guinness. What a great actor. Yeah. I mean, Lawrence of Arabia, so many... Bridge on the River Kwai. So many fantastic roles he's played. But and, he, wasn't, he wasn't feeling the movie, right? Like, no, he was no, not no. feeling that movie at all. Like, no, this is a paycheck for him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know... He's in the twilight. Yeah, the you career is not working yeah. that well, and he's going to take what he can get. He takes right. this low-budget sci-fi. Yeah. And, and we have to remember that sci-fi, at this point, yeah. it was either... It was a you know genre and low-budget, like the movie serials, yeah. 
or it was serious and dark, mm-hmm. you know, because the sci-fi that up to that point is 2001, it's Planet of the right. Apes, it's right. Soylent Green, it's, you know, it's like, thing, the, sci-fi is heavy, and I this think, is different. I think that's the hardest thing for people, even myself, uh, coming to it later, I think that's the hardest thing for people to grasp is that Star Wars has become such a template for what a giant blockbuster movie is supposed to be that to have this idea of a world where that didn't exist where Mm -hmm. this thing came out and it was anomaly is such a hard concept to wrap your head around um yeah absolutely i mean this is so different particularly because we're in the 70s yeah you know 70s films are known for being character based Mm -hmm. and different pace and artistic and poetic and this movie is a complete departure in fact, for me, this movie is the end of the 70s. This, mm. is, the, this is the moment. Of course, the movies later on, Apocalypse Now, mm. being the prime example that, that are still that 70s thing. But this yeah. is the moment at which Hollywood, I think, goes, oh, we don't have to do that, that artist-director thing anymore. Mm. Yeah. You know? This is, this is more what we want. A little bit, just a little bit about production. It's shot various places in the world and on studios in Shepparton in England. And... Um, the British crew, which we've heard in other films too, mm-hmm. they were not a fan of Mr. Lucas. <laughs> and he was very, very shy. Couldn't talk to the actors, had trouble talking to the crew. It was, it was, and the actors are making fun of him. And if you watch, there's a documentary that I think's on the DVD release. Mm-hmm. And it uh, surprises me that they actually let this documentary go out on the DVD because you could see the disrespect happening towards Lucas, right. which is rare to see. Usually, you know, behind the scenes things are just, everything's great. And that's not how this one looks. Yeah. And if you watch, uh, there's a great documentary that came out last year called Elstree 76. You'll see that there's still some kind of, uh, uh, what would you say, negative feelings or some kind of feelings that that Lucas was out of his depth when he was doing this film. And from those actors remembering, we know some of them are really positive about the experience and some of them are kind of negative. Uh, about the situation, about the experience with Lucas. And so that's what you have to understand. He had a bigger vision for some for something that was not really known for having bigger visions. And I don't mean 2001. Obviously, that's Kubrick. But with, with this was supposed to be a pop culture bigger version. And that's what was so difficult to, to tackle and take on. He didn't want it to be another cheesy Flash Gordon or 50s sci-fi thing. He wanted it to have that pop culture appeal. But on a grander scale than we had seen before. Well, and it's exactly what you were just saying. I mean, he was shy. Yeah. He was, he wasn't, he was, it was hard for him to talk. It was hard for him to express this. And he has this idea for something that has never existed before. So yeah, of course everyone's like, what the hell is going (laughs) on? Like, what is this movie? Well, and this is the thing we could, there's a, George Lucas is a very controversial figure in a, Mm. in a lot of ways, you know, is that he gave us this thing that we love more than almost anything in film. Yeah. And then he also, there are also things that were done to that thing, which we'll obviously talk about, which people don't like so much. No. Um, And, and, but the things we can't say about him, one, as I said, he has a great eye Mm -hmm. and two is he has great vision. He doesn't always. It's execution and details is where it doesn't work out and work out as well. And what we see in his career is when he's partnered with people that can fill in those blanks properly for him, it goes really well. Yeah. And when he has too much control, it doesn't go so well at all. Right. Um, so let's get into this movie. Yeah. For me, the Fox fanfare leading into the John Williams fanfare at the opening scroll is so powerful that every time I hear the Fox fanfare, the next thing in my brain is that John Williams dunk. (laughs) 
which is why watching the re-edited version or the new version, I don't like seeing the Lucasfilm LTD logo come up. I just want it to go from Fox into the black frame into that's what I would like. But you take what you you take what you have to take it as it as it is now. But that's how I remember it: Fox logo, black frame, music, and that's an opening crawl, which yeah. is amazing. And which even, I had never seen in anything no. when I saw it, right? I'm sure older people of Lucas's generation had seen scrawls on sci-fi stuff or TV shows or whatever, but this was something so different. Well, and it's it's setting it immediately in this world of we're going to have fun on a space opera. Yeah. You know? yeah. There's a little don't take this too seriously. Like mm-hmm. a serious movie would never do that. And just the fact that it right. goes off at this angle, I'd never seen that before. Yeah. That was high tech. Well, and also just... I mean, you know, like you were saying, for you, it's Star Wars and for everyone from a later generation, it's episode four. But I think that the the idea of starting something at episode four absolutely is such a brilliant thing because it makes you go. There's a history here, Mm. like automatically before anyone even says a piece of dialogue before there's anything like you are you are thrown into the middle of this story in the middle of this action and you've got okay I've got it brave princess has these plans she's got to do this like whatever and you're like god I wonder what yeah. I wonder what episodes one through three were which we all now know and we have opinions on but at the time <laughs> in 1977 you're just like what the hell is this like right. well and as a comic book reader and if you were a person who watched movie serials or radio uh, adventures is this sets it right in that world yeah. it says oh I get what kind of thing this is mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then we go into this unbelievable opening shot of the princess's ship getting away and the Star Destroyer coming over your head. Right. Um, This is one that gets taught in film school. Mm. Um, There's a, I won't go into a lot of detail, but there's a great book uh, by Bruce Block called The Visual Story. He was a teacher of mine at USC, and he talks about different kinds of space, flat space, deep space, limited space. Uh, ambiguous space in terms of filming and this is what you he calls this open space and what open space means is that you have a sensation as that destroyer goes over your head that it expands beyond the screen particularly if you see it on a big screen right it feels like it's coming over your head Mm -hmm. it opens up the shot it's an amazing shot yeah well and the other thing it does i mean just right off the bat is visually and again what you were saying about george lucas's eye i think is really important throughout it visually says here's the good guy the good guy is tiny. The good right. guy looks big. Oh, no, wait. The good guy's tiny yeah. because the bad guy is immense. Yep. Like it automatically without before even the great shot of Darth Vader's entrance, which we're going to get to in a minute. It automatically sets you up for the good guys are really fucked. Yeah. If, even if you're not aware of it, even subconsciously, the idea of this large thing chasing the small, almost defenseless little thing across the across space is just unsettles you from the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. And and there's something I'm going to talk about a bit because there's a big film school thing, mm-hmm. uh, sound design. The sound design in this movie is amazing. Yeah. And the... Pew, 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 pew. <laughs> so the, those, those blaster sounds, you want to know where they come from? Yes. Pew, you... pew. <laughs> yes, it's it's Michael Vogel going. Pew, pew. It was me, guys. It was me. <laughs> um, so the the, the 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 sound designer is uh, Bruce Bart, I think his name okay. is, and uh, he goes out. He's trying to find out what are these sounds because they don't exist in the world. And the sound design for that one is, you know, those big electrical towers, those steel, uh, can you know, big mm. big steel electrical tires, and they have guy lines coming down that are wires, big metal cables. That is a crowbar hit on the guy wire. I wow. thought that was the lightsaber noise. No, the lightsaber is a film projector with a microphone moved by a TV monitor. Because the, the magnet in the microphone reacts to the TV monitor. And as you move it around, it makes a... Real, real. Real. 
I will say that the best thing about this, how, here's how you know it has amazing sound design. Because an en- entire generation of children ran around on the playground doing these three things. Pew, pew. Wrong, wrong. With their lightsaber. Yep. And then going. Yeah. And, and that one, of course, is the scuba regulator. And the oh, um, no, and, Steve, it's Darth Vader breathing. I'm sorry, sorry, <laughs> oh, Darth Vader breathing. God. Um, and uh, but by the way, so I uh, when I did uh, one of the shark documentaries, and I'm doing a temp yeah. uh, sound, I needed to fake the sound of a scuba regulator. So I leaned into my mic and went, <laughs> and that me going like that is actually in the movie. <laughs> oh wow! How <laughs> we funny. Just, we just kept it in. Um, one last sound design one because it's happening right here. That Star Destroyer. Yeah. He went around. He's like, we need to find the biggest, most powerful engine ever. So he goes around to try to record engine sounds. So the first thing he does, he goes down to San Diego and he gets on the aircraft carrier down there and has them run their giant engines. And he's got his little Nagra wow. and he mics close to the engines. He mics, mics far away from the engines on top, on the bottom, goes and listens to it and goes, nah, doesn't sound big enough. So then he goes to Hoover Dam where they have the big, huge turbines, you know, generate electricity. He goes in then, records close, records far away, listens to it. It's like, nah, it's not big enough. And he's sitting in his motel room in Nevada <laughs> And it's hot. You know, it's 98 degrees or something. He's got his little window box air conditioning running. And it's broken. It's got a little in it. And he goes, man, that sounds interesting. And he goes, records that, slows it down. And that is the sound of the Star Destroyer, is the air conditioning on his window box. That's amazing. From small things, big things can happen. Um, Okay, enough about sound design. Yes. Let's get to Darth Vader. Darth Vader comes in. Oh, boy, does it. One of the great entrances of all time. By the way, and what's so great uh, rewatching it again for this podcast I think we can kill this idea that stormtroopers can't. They kill a lot of motherfuckers in, the, in that first opening scene. This whole idea that stormtroopers can't hit anything is not really true. They can't hit main characters. That's that's a, well, that's dated all through GI Joe. That's just I think that's lore in sci-fi. But like they he, they were killing rebels all over the place when they walked through that. I mean, I mean, they're walking through a. It almost looked like Alien Covenant. It was just all dead people they're walking around through. It was just intense. True. I was like, wait, they maybe can they hit need people. Darth Vader with them to help. Yeah. Um, because, man, those blasters do not seem to be very effective weapons. No, I guess not. They're just really hard to aim. They're really tough, man. Well, I mean, Luke, that pew, 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 like, that's a lot of power. <laughs> that's a lot of power. Well, when, Luke puts on, when Luke puts on the helmet, he says, I can't see anything in this thing. So, yeah. you know, that, that hinders you. If you can't see, that hinders your aim, I would imagine. Um, but again, from a visual standpoint, you know, like the, uh, the, 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 the rebel ship is all white. Yeah. Just very, like, like super white. And the stormtroopers are white, and all of a sudden, like Darth Vader comes in and just pulls all the focus yeah, because mm-hmm. it is just this black as you know. I mean, this black knight out of like some weird, crazy world yeah. walks through this thing, and it just it really is one of the great entrances of all time. Right. It is absolutely, and we've never seen anything like that character. Yeah, yeah, unless you saw Doctor Doom in comic books, and then kind of did a little bit, but but mo- but most people had not seen anything like yeah, this character. Yeah, not on screen at least. Yeah. Yeah. And then James Earl Jones' voice. Yeah. Unbelievable. I mean, yeah. best voice of all time. Yeah. I mean, maybe. He was Darth Vader. <laughs> he was Darth Vader. He was Mufasa. Yeah. And he's the CNN guy. There are yeah. other voices that are just as deep. I mean, there's John Roca. Well, I'm just <laughs> trying to make sure and it's clear. And then there's a... <laughs> um, no, it's such a great voice. He's got a great voice. And we get to meet uh, Carrie Fisher. And Princess Leia's kind of weird accent that goes away later yeah, on in life. Thank, was, thank God. Yeah, well, but right? that to me, that is... Lord a... Vader! Darth Vader, if only you could be so bold. The Imperial Senate will not steal for this. 
When they hear you've attacked a diplomat... You're not so surprised, Your Highness. You weren't on any mercy mission this time. Several transmissions were beamed to the ship by rebel spies. That, to me, is an example of these actors yeah. letting go of the George Lucasness and becoming who they are. Yeah. The transformation of Princess Leia from who she is in the first few scenes right. to who she becomes by the time she says, get this that walking carpet out of my way. Yeah. That's huge. Well, and here's... I. I one thing I want to say about Princess Leia and kind of like women in women in this movie, but then women in the Star Wars universe is, I mean, I believe and correct me if I'm wrong. I think there's two women in Star Wars. I think it's Aunt Beru and Leia. Yeah. Yep. I don't think there's actually another female in the movie. Mm, yeah. So clearly it fails the Bechdel test. Granted, 77. So it's a while. It's a, it's a, <laughs> it's a ways back. But despite the fact that there's only two women in this, you know, guys movie where like the guys are doing this. Princess Leia, all the way back in 77, is a stronger female character than the majority of females that came in a lot of sci-fi and fantasy movies yes. after her. She is her own woman. She is mm -hmm. awesome. She is independent. And like uh, even up to today with some of the characters uh, in you know, Rey, Jan Erso, Ahsoka, yeah. Yeah. Like, Star Wars has this wealth of amazingly strong female characters. Mm -hmm. uh, and it all started right here with this princess that was just standing up to the scariest looking dude in the yeah. entire galaxy. Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, and we see that she does something with some droids. The droids go into an escape pod. We meet C-3PO and C-3PO and R2-D2, and they're going to be our guides really into this story. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, they go into the escape pod. They land on this planet. They're wandering through the desert. You immediately love these two characters. Yeah. And one thing that I love about Star Wars that, uh, you know, when the prequels came out and a lot of people were like, well, George Lucas made these for the kids. It's not for the adults. And that always bothered me because I think what's great about Star Wars is it is neither for kids nor adults. It's for both. Mm. And C-3PO and R2-D2, I mean, when I was a kid, they were my favorite. Right. Luke and Han and Leia were cool. But c I thought the movie was about C-3PO and R2-D2 sure. when I was a kid. <laughs> well, it is. Um, I mean, you follow them from the beginning. Yeah, yeah. But the, the relationship between these two droids is actually very well developed for the mm -hmm. fact that there's these there's these funny comic relief characters and and their personalities and only are so... one of them speaks english yeah right. and they're but i mean r2d2 one of the most well-developed characters who only goes beep bop boop i mean yeah. like you actually get to a point where you understand his beeping and bopping and booping and you get his attitude and you get yeah. what he's saying and it's kind of that that's so impressive that uh, you had these characters that were kind of there for kids. They were the comic relief. They were fun. Yeah. But actually surprisingly well-developed. Yeah. Yeah, and of course, they're based on the two companions in Akira Hidden, Kurosawa's right. Hidden Fortress. Mm -hmm. And that transfers over to the idea of a princess. Like, There's so much about Star Wars that echoes from Kurosawa, just like you see with Magnificent even the wipes. Seven. Yeah, even the wipes. Yeah, wipes all of that definitely. is there. Yeah, so that's... It's a good way in, and you're right, Stephen. That when they did a animated uh, animated series on Star Wars that was on the uh, the Cartoon Network, I think, or Disney XD, it was called Droid Tales. It was them retelling the Star Wars saga through C-3PO's eyes, which was fantastic to watch. And so they, you're absolutely right, Stephen. Well, they are the people we follow through the whole thing. One of the great things about Star Wars in general is that every character has actually a very kind of cool arc over yeah. the course of the three movies. And C-3PO's arc, jumping ahead to stuff, but like he says in the very beginning in Star Wars that some point i think it's early on i think yeah. when luke is asking him about what's going on out there and c-3po literally says he's not good at telling stories yeah he's not a good storyteller That's what he says. cut to return of the jedi where c-3po literally tells the entire saga yeah. of what they've been right. through to the ewoks to get That's the ewoks right. to help them so you actually have this arc of this character who says in this first movie yeah. i'm not a storyteller and his storytelling skills actually help them fight the empire yeah. in the third Never movie so it's actually That's a really awesome. really cool uh little aspect of like even C-3PO and R2-D2 have these arcs. Yeah. 
What's great about uh, this whole sequence with the droids now, we're introduced to the Tusken Raiders, we're introduced to Jawa, we're introduced to all this kind of stuff that's happening on, on Tatooine. It's very natural, it's very organic. They don't necessarily stand out as these kind of weird creatures. They're human-like enough for us to kind of accept that they're not human, but still have kind of the human vibe to them. Well, right? well and this is the Star Wars world, yeah. is we're going to meet all these aliens... And they're and it's they're, they don't throw a lot of heat on it. It's right. just like oh, here's this creature, right. this person. Um, and so C three PO and R two D two they have a fight, they break up. Yeah, um, you got to wonder about C three PO. He doesn't make the best choices. He really doesn't. Uh, I mean, he's a protocol droid. This is not his jam. <laughs> this is not his jam. He loves parties. He loves diplomacy. He is literally in the desert. He did not sign up for no. this. Um, and the mo- the moment that R two D two gets zapped. I remember being in the theater and being just so I was already in love with that character yeah. and so sad when he falls down and just goes thunk. Yeah. Well, because you don't know. I mean, oh, when yeah. you first see this, you think like, oh, well, that was it for that droid. Right. Because yeah. you don't understand. And also what I love about the Jawas and what they do by pulling them in into this giant thing, you, you get that these guys are like just picking up scrap. Mm-hmm. So again, you get right away that this is a very lived in universe. Absolutely. Like everything about this universe is dirty and lived in and like just nobody looks like they've got anything fancy. And the Jawas are literally like roaming around, picking up stuff and then selling it for scrap. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a great, great Also. Point. Like yeah. another great sound design, that yeah. Jawa. Like tee. Um, we end up in the Jawa's big. What, what's it called? It's the big. Uh... It's called Buy It at Kmart for nineteen ninety nine. I don't know. I don't some sort of know transport. That's for sure. Um, and there we were reunited with C three PO, and we're going off to being sold. And now we finally get to meet Luke Skywalker. Yeah. And then they roll out the droids. We pick through some. We pick C three PO because apparently he speaks Vapor. Whatever, yeah. whatever that means. Well, he's fluent in over four million. How many? How many yeah. forms of communication? <laughs> it's a lot of forms of communication. Um, and uh, and then they're going to take another droid that blows up, and so we take R two D two, and now we've gotten our droids to our hero. Well, it's interesting because also three PO gets them to take R two D two because he vouches for R two D two in that sequence. He says, "Oh, this is a good droid, and this, yeah. this, this is a very powerful droid." Of course, personal it's, preference. It's C three PO's way of saying, "I'm sorry for that fight in the desert, baby." <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's something. Now that we've gotten to our hero, something that we should talk about is that George Lucas studied Joseph Campbell. Mm. You know, studied this idea of myths and looked at classic heroes' journey, which is why, and I'm going to make a bold statement here. In my opinion, Star Wars is not science fiction. Star Wars. Wow. Star Wars is a fantasy story in mm-hmm. a science fiction setting. Okay. Like the, if you look at the basic structure of Star Wars, Star Wars is uh, a young hero finds the wizard living in the desert who gives him his father's sword, mm-hmm. teaches him the ways of magic so he can go rescue the princess from the Black Knight. That's what Star Wars is. It is classic, what... classic hero's journey. Right. So I took a storyboarding class at the Animation Union several years ago, and I got in a fight with the teacher because he said that sci-fi isn't a genre. That's crazy. Well, wow. But, but to your point, he said that any sci-fi movie that you name... So Star Wars is clearly inspired by fantasy. Star Wars is a fantasy in space. Therefore, it is a sci-fi fantasy. Whereas Alien, for example, is a sci-fi horror film. And that every single film that you could name... And now, I don't agree with this, but to your point, he said that sci-fi is a place. 
sci-fi is space. Sci-fi is the future. Sci-fi is technology. But any movie, whether it be Blade Runner, Alien, sure. Star Wars, whatever, is actually a different genre told in that location or time period, which I thought was interesting. It's, 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 it's a valid point. And, and this is where – so here's how I would define the genre for me. And maybe this is also my bias coming in. But is that science fiction uses technology and ideas and the ideas of the future to explore the human condition and ideas for us. That's what science fiction is doing. Mm -hmm. So if you look at Planet of the Apes, if you look at Blade Runner, if you look at Star Trek 2001, it's always exploring the idea of the human condition through using science and using the future and using technology. Uh And so, you know, cloning and artificial intelligence and time travel and what does that say? And and most of these things aren't really, or meeting alien life forms and how we learn about ourselves through exploring that stuff. That's what Mm -hmm. science fiction is to me. And Mm -hmm. that isn't what Star Wars is. That doesn't mean I don't love Star Wars. I, I think that I think the challenge is, and I think this maybe gets into a generational thing as well, mm. is that you're probably right about Star Wars Episode Four. Right. Cut to 2017, where Star Wars is the biggest sci-fi franchise in the universe, and through other stories that they've told, whether it be Clone Wars mm. or Rebels or the later movies or Rogue One or whatever, I think it does start to do... A li- it always has an element of fantasy and it's this epic like kind of space opera adventure, but it does sort of deal with some of those things. So it's more become... So. More so. More so. So it's become more sci-fi than maybe episode four was. I don't know. It's an interesting, it's an interesting debate. I know. I don't agree. I, I can't... I don't, I don't agree with this because I, I, I actually think it is science fiction for all the reasons you just defined for science fiction because I think it does we are dealing with just because we don't recognize the units of science that they deal with in the movie does not mean they still don't use science just because they're talking about parsecs and all this kind of stuff doesn't mean that it's not well, science well parsec they get wrong well it, that's, <laughs> that's science sure. they, they well do if we're going to break down what they do and don't get wrong we'll destroy every science fiction franchise and that's for me that's that's what I and, and we have real human stuff going on here because he's, real human he's, stuff. he's not part of the family with Owen like he's, he doesn't know who his dad is there's all this stuff with Kenobi this yeah the old man in the desert is very much like King Arthur Excalibur totally get that all the fantasy stuff absolutely but i still think we're learning about the human condition in this because they're coming together they're strangers fighting for a common good a better uh, like fighting against the rebel the 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 empire fighting against evil i would i would say that i would say that star wars as the whole has more in common take again just looking back on the big scope of things star wars does have more in common with harry potter than it does with star trek 2001 or planet of the apes i mean steve's not wrong in that I'm not saying he's wrong. I'm no, saying no. I disagree. No, but Steve's not. But it's it's an interesting. I never say anybody's wrong. I like I like to know who's right and who's wrong. And I think one <laughs> of you is right, and I think one of you is wrong. And I'm gonna figure this out. Damn it! No, I think so. You're that, not a great Jedi. Uh, right. I think that I'm all about balance, bro. Yeah, bro. all about balance. Knock it out, bro. Um, and and I think where where I might not where I might disagree a little bit is I think that maybe what Star Wars did is it expanded what sci-fi is. Sure. Because up till that point, to your point, a lot of these movies were like. Oh my God, look what we did. We ruined the world with nuclear bombs and then monkeys took over. Right. Oh my gosh, Hal is terrible. This, you know, like, you know, like it was the mm-hmm. dark aspects of like, what, yeah, what, what can we do if we let our technology or our worst natures 
out. What's the whereas, Death Star? What's the Death Star? Whereas what Star Wars does over the course of, again, three movies is your faith in your friends and love is the most important thing, which is basically the core message of seven books of Harry Potter as well. But well, the vampire is using technology to create the Death Star. Right, but, they're not, but the technology doesn't force us to ask questions. That's the difference. Is that, is that for instance, um, we have our droids, right? Yeah. Now, the droids are some form of, art, of sentience. There's no question that mm-hmm. they have consciousness. They have, they have personalities. They have fears. They have hopes. They have um, loyalty. Mm-hmm. And there's also no question in these movies that they are slaves. And the movies never explore these things. If we were in a sci-fi movie, we would be asking questions about consciousness and rights. And here, we really don't. Another example is mm-hmm. that if you look at sci- if you look at sci- okay. if you look at fantasy, fantasy frequently, and of course, obviously, there's things that bend these genres and mm-hmm. these rules, and they should be. And I'm not saying that things have to stay within rigid boxes at all. But if you look at classic fantasy, if you look at Harry Potter, if you look at Lord of the Rings, there is good and evil. There is the light side and the dark. Right. And we frequently have characters struggling between the light and the dark, tempted mm-hmm. by the dark, resisting the dark. That's a classic fantasy trope. Right. If you look at Star Trek, Planet of the Apes, Blade Runner, all the great science fiction, right and wrong is more complicated. Is that mm-hmm. in Blade Runner, we're torn. In, in Planet of the Apes, we're torn. Right. Is that we look at the world in a more complicated manner because the point of those movies is to explore the ideas. Whereas Star Wars is not about exploring ideas. It's, that's not a criticism. Mm-hmm. Star Wars well, is, this is yeah, yeah, this is a good guy and these are the bad guys and we are going to have an adventure. You know, um, and, and good and evil are treated as as yeah. monolithic well in new hope yes but not in jedi when he takes the mask off then we are we don't know well, that's classic fantasy that that's that's about redemption good at darth vader is not so is, or, right is flash gordon sci-fi uh yeah that's a big idea of Series? See, but that's where I think that things get a little... Tr- like, the pulp sci-fi, so you like, can't, you the can't, Flash Gordon... That's what I say. You can't have grand ideas and only grand ideas of sci-fi, then then you're cutting out almost all the sci-fi serials that came before. Almost everything. No, that's a good point. That's a good point. If you go to, to me... That's why I think it exists, because science fiction. Fiction having to do with science. That's as basic to me as the Wait as a when I look at it. You just blew my <laughs> mind. Science fiction is fiction... Listen, I'm not With- nowhere. I'm now here. <laughs> Boom. So I'm just that's. But I see your point absolutely, Stephen. That's a valid uh, point or, or, or argument to make. My belief, but I just don't. I just don't agree a hundred percent because I think it does deal with bigger ideas, with the rebellion, with the idea of what what ultimate power can do to also, create a weapon that destroys planets. There's blue milk. Which means <laughs> it's science fiction. It's science fiction because blue milk does not exist. In the world that we currently live in, you know what? Point taken. I I I, I, I agree. You can't you, the you blue win. milk you argument. Win. Not the blue, blue milk, milk argument. All right. So now, now that we've resolved this question, and the blue milk argument has won, uh, we've got our droids, and there's something in the there's some lodged in R two D 2s innards here that we're trying to get out. Help me, Obi Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. What's this? It's a little Carrie Fisher <laughs> hologram, and we get this this message thing, and we say something about Obi Wan Kenobi, and maybe that's Ben Kenobi. Help me, Obi Wan Kenobi. You're our only hope. You, you trying to remember it? No, I mean I did remember it. I just yeah, said it. I know what I'm saying. What do you, I don't understand why you're trying. Why why are you saying it? I just was like kind of you feeling just want to feel out. it. Yeah, <laughs> I just like that moment. Um, and then we meet. We go talk to Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru, yeah. and we find out that Luke wants to leave the farm. This is, here's the questions, right? 
I know this might be the longest podcast we ever fucking do, to be honest with you. This Uncle Owen Baru stuff is interesting. Owen says, when he has the argument with Luke about Luke going to the Academy and having to wait another year, is Owen purposely doing this, even behind Baru's back? Like, has Kenobi talked to him and said, you take, you take care of Luke, don't you let him go till I say he's ready? Because he denigrates Kenobi. What is Owen's well, connection to this? Because when she says he, just, he has a lot of his father in him, he goes, that's what I'm afraid of. What does that fucking mean? And so to me, how much of Owen is involved in this situation? Well, this gets to a bigger question that I've actually often discussed, which is how much did George Lucas actually know? I have the same, yeah, yeah, same question. When he right. wrote Star Wars, it's great in the history to know that, yeah. you know, that people will say he had this all planned out and he knew everything. No. And I don't think he did. I don't think I, don't I think that at this, because I, I, there's two answers to that. Mm. There's the one answer of what do I think actually was intended by that when it was made? Yeah. And now, having been a Star Wars dork who's read the comics, seen the prequels, has an opinion on everything, there's also the, what does that mean Right now? Right. Uh, I think when the movie was made, Anakin Skywalker was a badass, rash pilot yeah. who fought the bad guys. <laughs> and basically, it's exactly what Obi-Wan Kenobi said. Like, right. like I, I don't think that he had this whole... Ah, this this guy who's walking around in this suit is actually... Now, I could be wrong. I, I actually don't necessarily think that's true. So I think when yeah. Uncle Owen says, that's what I'm afraid of, he's afraid that Luke is going to go off and get himself killed because his father was this, like, you know, was like Maverick and Top Gun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's what the... is. But it's then you get to Empire and you're like, whoa, guys, I got an idea. Right. What if? <laughs> I, I, I'm trying to remember now because I know I... So in the original script, he was named yeah. Luke Starkiller. Yeah. Just really a terrible name. And um, I, my gut, but I can't remember for sure. There are geeks out here who know, who I'm sure can answer this question. My gut is that he did know that Darth was Anakin, but mm. I don't, you know, my opinion is, and I don't know, mm. I don't think he knew that Leia was a sister. I for sure don't think that. Yeah. Because the way the movie oh, happens, yeah. it just like, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, at all. exactly. Um, and, and, you know, and the Uncle Owen stuff, yeah. I mean, it's. Very clear that something's going on, yeah. and that he knows something, and maybe that's just a good actor right. filling stuff up. Right. But yeah, I definitely think that something's going on. Yeah. I mean, and if you want to go look at all of the Star Wars comics that are now out, yeah. uh, that have been coming out through Marvel and Disney, I mean, they actually very specifically get into Uncle Owen and Obi Wan Kenobi. Right not agreeing on how to do stuff like yeah. Obi-Wan Kenobi is kind of just chilling up in his house kind of watching over Luke yeah. making sure nothing happens um, Uncle Owen is like just stay away yeah like just don't you guys have screwed everything up in life mm -hmm. just stay away yeah, which is almost uh, humans versus magic thing right Human, you see this in the in the old middle ages uh, uh, fiction and stuff the like, in, like, the... In, like in fantasy like in fantasy <laughs> you bastard uh, uh, you know, I wasn't going to do it <laughs> The mage versus human The mage versus human Yeah, but I think this is why this film walks the line I think it's sci-fi fantasy Sure I always say it Sure A Space up Fortunately, this decision's kind of taken out of Luke's hands Because we get up in the morning and where's R2? Yeah He's wandered off into the distance well, Gotta go find him And again, this is why R2-D2 is like the best yeah. Because yeah. he, like... He might as well have been the OG, like, no fucks given character in life. Like, he yeah. doesn't listen to anybody. He doesn't listen to anyone else except he's like, I know what I'm supposed to do, and I'm going to go do it. Yeah. And he is always just, like, off being like, nope, later, y'all. Yeah. Well, this is why that question of, like, they're clearly sentient and they're clearly slaves is so... And it's so what the, the, the whole movie does, and really the whole series does, is it really doesn't care. Mm -hmm. And it seems like everything's okay. Everyone's okay with this. 
and, and so I'm not saying that we should not be okay. It's not a criticism of the movie, but it is interesting. I mean, they literally have restraining bolts, mm-hmm. you know, to keep them from doing things like what R2 is going to go do, yeah. which is go off to try to find Obi-Wan Kenobi. Right. Luke and C-3PO go after him. We've realized they're, they're Sandwalkers. Mm-hmm. Is that what the name is? The Tusken Raiders? Yeah. Yeah. On Banthas? On Banthas? Yeah. yeah. Sand people. Uh-huh. Sand people. That's Sand the people, name I love. Yeah. On Sand Banthas. people nerd. I literally said, Leo, are you talking about the Tuscan Raiders or the Dubaks or the Banthas? I'm not sure what you're referring to on Tatooine. There's a lot of Sand indigenous life people. forms. Sometimes I can't keep all these names straight. It's hard. It's hard well, to keep Well, you had to buy all the toys. Straight. Well, don't get online. I, you know what? I never did. Oh, I never what? had these toys. Wow. Yeah. They were not. I, I think I had the Millennium Falcon. Right. That was the only, that was the only Star Wars toy Holy I think I had. Shit. I had a lot of Micronauts. That's what I had. I had interesting. I mean, I had Hammerhead. I had like Tuscan Raiders. Yeah, I had, had all. I mean, Even had um, a what's his face? Oh yeah, he's my favorite. Yeah, yeah. What the fuck are you talking about? I'm talking about the guy in the bar. He doesn't like you either. The one with the Hammerhead. The that's one. that's why I said a Hammerhead. Yeah, yeah, okay. Actually, Thorians. 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 I'm sorry, Thorians. It's gonna be a long podcast. <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> so <laughs> let's tear through the where they're dead. <laughs> so, we don't know. We don't so know. There's, a really, there's a really important moment when we find out about the sand people, and that is that Luke says, Oh, there's sand people. Come on, let's go have a look. Well, come on. This is, it shows no fear. Yes. And this is really, like, really important in terms of him being what kind of hero he's going to be. His fear doesn't really enter into it for Luke Skywalker. Uh, unfortunately, it doesn't go very well because while he's spying on them, the guy's right on top of him and knocks him out. One of the scared. The, I remember that being very, very scared of that moment. When I was a kid the first time I saw it because the sound is so it's like, cr- it's like something I've never heard before. Yeah. Some weird animal sound. Yeah. And by the way, that shot of him lifting and lowering yeah. his thing—that's uh, that's reversed. So you see it. Oh, you see it go forward and then you see it go backwards, oh, which is part of why it looks so odd. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they get scared away by this other sound, this creature in a cloak that comes down that turns out to be our good friend Alec Guinness. Yes. He's, he really is great in this movie. Just brings a great calmness to the movie and a very relaxed nature to the movie. And you are immediately know you're in good hands just from, just from the way he's delivering the lines. And just when he says Obi-Wan Kenobi, he says, ah, that's a name I haven't heard in a long time. Like, it's just all of that. It's great. Because it it, Luke is like this. Yeah. And so you need Kenobi to be like chilling out on the bottom. And so here's where I just want to bring up, because this is one of the interesting things about watching this movie now so many years later after so much has happened to the Star Wars franchise, mm. is this is where a lot of the connections between the prequels and Clone Wars and everything <laughs> start to fall apart in the, in the original movies <laughs> sure. because like, there's certain relationships yeah, that yeah, you're yeah. just like, Obi-Wan, you know R2. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. What are you, like, which, which I'm not saying it as a criticism because it's right. kind of like it's amazing that the franchise has grown and developed, but this is one of those things that as a, as a younger fan who loves all of the ancillary stuff around Star Wars... Uh, where you start to watch it, yeah. and when you watch it now, in retrospect, you're like, wait a minute. <laughs> you and R2 and Ahsoka and Anakin did all these things together, and you're not going to even say anything right now, which is just a dumb thing that you, as a nerd, kind <laughs> right. of get into in your right. head. But it, th- that's one... So, stories have to change. I mean, like, you know, mm-hmm. they got to have a life of their own. you got to ignore some stuff yeah. in the past. That is one where I go, I really wish they hadn't done that in the prequels. Because it, it, I think it hurts things in, yeah. a, in well, a big way. This is this is a whole other podcast for another day, but I would agree with you, except for then I went and watched all of Clone Wars. Yeah. And so it's one of those really weird things is like, 
I'm not saying that they made all the right choices in the prequels with having R2 there with Anakin and Anakin designed 3PO and everything else. Like, I, I think there's a lot of things they did that were a little bit like, you could have spread this out and you co- told a right. different story with new characters. I 100% agree. Mm. That being said, the Clone Wars animated series, which is on Netflix, if you haven't watched it, I recommend going to watch all of it, yeah. uh, does such a good job of adjusting some of the things in the prequels that I'm not the biggest fan of and making them work and making character dynamics work and making these stories work that I actually now through years of like being a fan and watching all this stuff, I'm completely on board with the Anakin Obi-Wan relationship and all the adventures that they had in the Clone Wars that I watched on the animated series because it did a better job, I think, of uh, really fleshing those things out. Mm -hmm. So that's neither here nor there. In 77, that was all a glint in George Lucas's eye. Obi-Wan Kenobi takes Luke back to his place. Right. Yeah. We, we get a lightsaber. We find out a little bit about Anakin, mm-hmm. which apparently Luke didn't know anything about his dad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, so I, Uncle Owen, that's kind of rough. Yeah, well, well people, Jimmy Smith's, you know, yeah. took him away. I'm sorry. I just keep <laughs> getting into the bigger. People make decisions in raising. That's all I'm going to say to that. People make decisions in raising children. So it's his, absolutely he, true. It wasn't his child. He made a decision to raise his child not knowing this stuff. So Luke can't get involved, though. Right. And this is at this moment he is making the decision, like his uncle Owen, he's gotta stay there. Right. And that's where we think it's gonna be. We go back to the Death Star, we get to meet Peter Cushing. Yes. Who's so great. Grandma Moff Tarkin. Who I did not know when I was a kid that he was Darth Vader's boss. I did not get that. I just thought I, to me, Darth Vader was so bad that he was clearly the main bad guy, mm-hmm. and this was just some other dude. And then I got older and realized, oh no, I get it now. Yeah. It's interesting to set it up that way, um, and it also makes sense why it ceases to be that way in the rest of the films mm-hmm. because because I think they didn't realize quite what they had in Darth Vader, yeah, and how how big he was. But Peter Cushing is great. Mm-hmm. He plays a great part. And again, we see this wavering of Carrie Fisher's accent. Uh, and on the Death Star, now we have the first time that we see the Force. Yeah. Because Darth Vader chokes out some guy. Yeah. Don't try to frighten us with your sorcerer's ways, Lord Vader. Your sad devotion to that ancient religion has not helped you conjure up the stolen data tapes or given you clairvoyance enough to find the rebels' hidden fort. We start to realize that oh, there's a whole other, there's a whole other thing going on here, right? Um, and it's interesting too, by the way, the way the for- the force gets way more powerful as movies go on. Like like it's pretty small in this movie, mm-hmm. just little tiny moments, little intuitive moments, and little powers things, but not big stuff. Which I think is smart, to be honest with you. If you're going to introduce a concept that is beyond religion, because essentially it's a religion, but it's a religion that allows you that once you harness it to kill or not kill. And it's yeah. powerful in that way. And so just by force of will, just by like, you know, moving your hand or whatever, if you can harness that energy, you can kill people. You know, as we see, as you just highlighted, Steve, that moment where he's choking the guy, he could finish that dude off if he wanted to. But Tarkin tells him, all right, it's enough. You know? Yeah. And it's just because Tarkin, Tarkin is the boss. Yeah, but he's a boss in a way that like is powerful because he doesn't have to yell. He doesn't have yeah. to do anything to Vader. He knows he's the boss. When you know you're the boss, you ain't got to make a big show of being the boss. He just oh, does Oh, for sure. It chill, for sure, absolutely. Which is, why, which is why you probably didn't get that he was the boss because he doesn't have to show it. Yeah, yeah. No, but I mean, it, no, it's a, it's, a great, it's a great dynamic where like Darth Vader's like the attack dog here. Yeah, yeah. And basically, Grand Moff Tarkin is like heel. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting too. Like I've had a lot of heated discussions with people about religion. Mm. I, I'm an atheist. Yes. And uh, 
But if in one of those heated discussions, someone choked me from a distance, <laughs> I'd probably go, you know what? <laughs> I'm going to rethink this thing. I find your lack of faith disturbing. And then we go back to Tatooine. And the first thing we discover is that the Jawas have been hit. Yeah. Uh, made to look like sand people, but in fact is uh, stormtroopers. Right. I guess their aim got better. Yeah. I keep telling people this. And then there's this moment of Mark Hamill. That could lead them back. Home. Yeah. It's always, always been an acting moment that sticks <laughs> in my head. <laughs> and you've seen that somebody made the Aunt Beru and Uncle Owen uh, action figures oh, for this scene. Yeah. Oh yeah. The, the charred <laughs> remains that you can... You can purchase for five ninety nine, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's 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 brutal. Like when you're a kid, it is like. And I mm-hmm. think this is where Star Wars is great is it does balance between being like this fun action adventure, mm-hmm. amazing ride, and then like you do get these moments, which which is like what great mythology does. Again, it gets yeah. back to that Joseph Campbell sort of right. hero with a thousand faces. Like you, in a way, this had to happen so that Luke would move on. Yeah. yeah. But like he's also dealing with like a pretty major tragedy. I mean, that's that's brutal. If you say so. He doesn't seem all that broken up about it. He's broken up for about twenty-seven yeah, seconds. Yeah, maybe about twenty-seven. Right, and then he's like, "Okay, let me give it. Let me get off this planet." Yeah, he sells this when they get, because they go to Mos Eisley almost immediately after, and he when they come out of that canteen, he's like, "You got so Peter. That's all right. I ain't coming back here." And man, it's like no big deal to him. Well, this is the thing, and again, I don't mean this as a criticism. I love Star Wars. Yes, Star Wars is not particularly deep. You know, right? Star Wars is is light. It, it doesn't. You don't. You don't go through. In later movies, yes, it gets later deeper. Movies, absolutely. In this movie, it's sort of, we're on an adventure. Yeah, yeah we're on an adventure. And, and, you know, just like we didn't spend a lot of time with Batman's parents in early Batman stories. True. Or Superman's parents in early Superman stories. Later on, it became bigger and bigger yeah, and bigger. Yeah, yeah. But it was like, yep, my parents were killed by criminals, and now I fight crime. Right. You know, and that's right. kind of what this is. Yeah I, yeah, I think that, you know, a lot of these mythologies that started... I mean, to your point about comics and everything else, these mythologies that started a long time ago, particularly stuff that started in more of like that pulp format, and mm. Star Wars is definitely yeah. of that world. Yep. They they gave you the tragedy so that you understood right. why this person had to leave or why they were driven right. to do something, yeah. but they didn't deal with, I'm going to go deep into this. Yeah. yeah, Right, exactly. And now we're back on the Death Star with Princess Leia. They want to get the information of where the plans are from Princess Leia. Right. And in comes the weird floating orb with the big syringe on it. The mind probe. That thing's fucking scary. It is fucking scary. Yeah. And it, they used it. Oh, yeah. No, she was clearly tortured. That's the thing. And there, there's no there's no like shot, no scene, no anything afterwards about it. And so it's just interesting. No, again, again, this goes to what the point. Uh, it's not deep. Yeah, we don't we don't You're spend right. a lot of You're time right. with like torture. Yeah. We know that it has happened, so we go off to Moss Eisley. Yeah, and this is where we start. Depending, you know, obviously, there's endless debate about special editions versus original. Oh yeah, theatrical yeah. version. I don't want. It's been. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll touch on it a little bit. Um, I don't want to go into it a lot, but if you watch the special edition, there are a lot of CG creatures mm-hmm. walking around. They don't ruin the movie for me. No. Nope. But I also think they're kind of unnecessary. Yeah. We didn't really need them. Uh, and now we get our next great moment with the Force. How long have you had these droids? About three or four seasons. Oh. They're up for sale if you want them. Let me see your identification. You don't need to see his identification. We don't need to see his identification. These aren't the droids you're looking for. These aren't the droids we're looking for. He can go about his business. You can go about your business. Move along. Move along. Move along. 
I use that. I use that move a lot, actually, mm-hmm. in life. Mm-hmm. It really does work, even if you're not a Jedi. You can actually make that work move for it you. It can't work on me. It would never work on me. I think we should move on, Steve. <laughs> Let's move on. Um, so we, we go into the we go into the cantina. Yes, and uh, boy, it's a lot of fun. like i mean again that's just alien explosion in your yeah, face i mean yeah. like it's just it's just so much happening and you know it's just masks and puppets and i even like didn't they like rent a bunch of like monster masks from yes. somewhere and yeah. like it's like a wolfman and stuff but they're like yeah that'll work like <laughs> put fine. a horn on it yeah. like and it's it's just this hodgepodge of craziness yeah. but it works so well t- and one of the things that's really making it work is john williams cantina theme yeah because it's so yeah. fun over and that's and what it says it's like this just says oh we're not supposed to take this too seriously yeah. and another example and i know i'm, I'm gonna i'll stop hard this is the last time i'm gonna harp on it is we don't serve their kind here and they just go okay like, we don't really get into that yeah that's a great point steve actually yeah because uh he says i couldn't agree more See that if will willingly walks out of the situation. Yeah. He doesn't go, oh, damn, I didn't get that hot lemonade. I mean, the cold lemonade on a well, hot Or day. How, how, just, how our species is yeah, treated as second-class citizens. <laughs> we are slaves. They're just, everyone's kind of okay with the situation. Yeah. And, and we are, too. I don't think you ever watch that, yeah. those movies going, oh, this is making comments on race and slavery. I think it, it's really not. I think it's human. They should be afraid of AI, man. I don't think there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> I really don't think there's anything wrong. That's why I don't sort of see them as slaves. But your argument is correct. Your argument is absolutely correct. It holds water completely. Yeah. So, yeah, but you're right. It's weird that they said, because it's such a weird thing to say to them. We don't serve his kind here. And it's like, it's a fucking droid. What are you going to serve him? Like, <laughs> bolts? Oil? What the fuck are you going to serve? It's just weird. Um, anyway. And then Luke Skywalker's getting hassled by some guy at the bar. Yeah. He, he's he got a price on his head in three systems or something. Twelve. Twelve systems? Yeah. That's a lot of prices on someone's head. He's why lying you, through his fucking teeth, why, by the way. Why do you announce that? Like, what's that Because he's point? lying. That's what the, you know what those guys are. Jay-Z said it. Loud as a motorbike, but wouldn't bust a grape in a fruit fight. That tells you right there. You meet guys like that all the time. <laughs> That's true. I'm the rare combination of loud and I'll kick your ass. <laughs> wow. Let's go. Oh, is that what, there is that, you go. That is. What's there you what go. It is. There we go. Well, you wouldn't kick Obi-Wan Kenobi's ass. No, I wouldn't. He cut my damn arm off. <laughs> and, and, right after, and then things just kind of, nobody seems to really be bothered by this. <laughs> That's right. It just happens. That's it's a what standard happens in a, seedy bar scene, man. Yeah, it happens in a den of scum and villainy. <laughs> That's right. Uh, and uh, let's meet Han Solo. Yeah. Han Solo. I'm Captain of the Millennium Falcon. Chewie here tells me you're looking for passage to the Alderaan system. Yes, indeed. If it's a fast ship. Fast ship? You've never heard of the Millennium Falcon? Should I have? It's a ship that made the Kessel run in less than 12 parsecs. I've outrun Imperial starships. Not the local bulk cruisers, mind you. I'm talking about the big Karelian ships now. She's fast enough for you, old man. What's the cargo? Only passengers. Myself. The boy, two droids, and no questions asked. What is it, some kind of local trouble? Let's just say we'd like to avoid any imperial entanglements. Well, that's the real trick, isn't it? And it's going to cost you something extra. It's a great introduction of a character. Mm-hmm. I mean, he Harrison Ford just chews this up. And let's face it, this makes him a star. Yeah. This is a star turn performance. Yeah. More than anyone else in this movie. Mm-hmm. Nobody else comes out of this movie the way that Harrison Ford does. Right. Well, also... They go to the ship. Also, we meet yeah. we meet Chewbacca. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Again, it, for a character that doesn't actually... Talk. Talk. Yeah. Just kind of goes... Wow. Like, 
He's that was he's, good. He's one. Pretty, that was thank good. You, yeah, thank yeah. you. He's a pretty. Uh, he's a pretty expressive dude. Yeah. And like one. And again, when you're a kid, one of your absolute favorite things in the world that Han Solo has this like best buddy who is just this giant as his Princess Leia says walking carpet. Yeah. Um, but it's just kind of like cool and awesome, and like you're like these two. I like again, it's this idea that like everything about the Star Wars universe. You're introduced to a little bit of it, and you want to know everything. Yeah. Like you want to know everything about Han and Chewie and how they met and what adventures they've been going on. Totally. And, like, and you're just, but you're just tossed in. You're like, okay, well, I guess we'll find that out later because we gotta go. Like, right. well, and it's funny that now we have two characters in the movie that don't speak, and yet we understand everything they say. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that is impressive writing, by the way, to write the Han Solo or C-3PO dialogue in such a way that it gives us clues as to what they understood that we didn't. Right. It's done really well in this yeah. film. Well, and then, I mean, you know, like, to your point, and we don't need to talk about it, like, a lot of the changes that George Lucas made when he did the special editions, I actually think go go between not bothering me to, I think that looks prettier, and that's an improvement, or that's sure. a nice shot. This is one of the big ones, which is the introduction of Han Solo through through his discussion with Greedo. Yeah. Like, this is one of those changes that actually kind of like you just let, you should have left that alone <laughs> well because it changed because this is the thing if you go in and make clean up a print if you go in and take a, a stereo mix and put it out into surrounds yeah great if you gloss a special effect and make it look a little cleaner yeah it doesn't affect story it's it's okay adding extra digital creatures is to me seems unnecessary but again whatever right. so, changing han solo's character is a big deal so you don't like this conversation they have with when he's like you tell Jabba, I got the money. Boom. I love the conversation. Okay. I just think Han, sh- Han shot him first. Oh, we're not going to have that argument. But that's, no. but that's what we're talking about. That's the change. Okay, that's, your, that's the problem you have. That's, but yo, yeah, I have no problem with the discussion. The discussion okay. is great. Okay, okay, so look, the discussion that happens, which didn't get changed at right. all between special editions, which is, okay, there's this guy, Jabba. Yeah, right. He, you owe him money. Yeah. Greedo is like, kind of like, he's got the gun under the table. Right. Han is like, you know, kind of talking, talking fast, trying to get out of the situation. That's all great. It's a great introduction to this yeah. kind of roguish character who clearly is more experienced than our hero. Yeah. Clearly is uh, not the quote unquote perfect guy good guy right. like he's he's got he's a little rough around the edges he's he's, he's in league with some you know shady characters but then when the movie came out also yeah. this was a guy who if he was threatened has no problem shooting a guy first and with the special edition kind of going oh no that wasn't the intention let me make it more clear like he's a hero therefore he didn't shoot first like mm. that I don't, I don't well, like and, it. And, and the problem because I, I the problem with it is and i don't think it ruins the movie no no no, no. I, I think the movie's it's so, so quick it can't but but it, it is like you take a character who goes through a transformation and you make the transformation smaller because mm. because the the journey of han That's solo point. is that he is going to become the hero right well Having him shoot someone first at the beginning sets that up. That's a long journey. Yeah. Having him kill someone in self-defense who was already trying to shoot him, that doesn't. Right. He's already a hero by doing that. Yeah. The other thing about it is like, so this is an expression I got from Mike Hoover, who I've talked about Mm -hmm. on the show, who's my, the guy I did the documentaries with, who's my mentor in a lot of ways. And he has an expression. It's a bit filthy, but it applies to this, which is, how do you keep a heart on? Don't fuck with it. There you go. And... Don't fuck with it. <laughs> this movie was great. A huge success. Why fuck with it? Like, accept it. It was good. Yeah. Well, um, the creator always... The, how many times do you re-edit this podcast? 
I don't, Same thing. I don't re-edit it. I mean, wait, once you edit it, don't you listen to it and then you're like, oh, I could have done Almost this. Never. I yeah. You yeah. never go back and listen to it and go, oh, I could have done this differently. Oh, sure, sure. A little that's bit. what Lucas is doing. Yeah, sure, a little bit, but I don't go back and change no, it. No, you don't do it. There, you're right. You're yeah. Right. right. Yeah. I mean, there of course there are things that you But uh, I just think I think some people just can't help it. I think more often than not, for better or for worse, once something is out in the universe, nine times out of ten, making changes doesn't yeah. necessarily improve it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh so it's just like, you know, something to think about well, in it life. Is what it and is. It it's a moment in time. Art is art is art. Like art comes out. You yeah. create something, whether it's a painting, a piece of music, whatever. Right. Art is never perfect. You put it out in the universe yeah. and then it is what it is. I don't, I don't fault him for doing it. Like it's fine. But yes, but this yeah. is one of the only uh, two or three things that he did in the special, uh, special edition. That I was like, eh, I don't love it. Yeah, my argument is this: it's his property. You can do it as he wishes. Absolutely, I, that, you know what? That's, that's, that is, I would agree with you. Pete, I know a lot. Of, I got a lot of shit for that when I was going on when I was first doing, starting on these shows and going on these shows and talking about it because I was like, no, it's his property. He's got a right to do what he fucking wants. He has every right like, to do what he wants to do with it. I still have every right to disagree with some Absolutely. of his choices. Absolutely. Absolutely, but people are like he should have never fucking touched that motor. But. Yeah, that's there's this. Have you watched the uh, documentary, the George Trial George Lucas or whatever it's yeah, called? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's it's, great. It's, it's really good and it presents this all really, really well. Mm-hmm. It does and, and it, my respect for George Lucas went way up watching that. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though I disagree with some of these choices, yeah, I totally I, you got you got to respect the guy. Yeah. Um, so yeah. now we're back on the Death Star. The yeah. torture didn't work. Yeah. So maybe we need to make a bigger demonstration. Set course for Alderaan. Wow. Yeah. Um, or Alderaan, as they call it in this movie. They call it Alderaan? They do call it Alderaan. Is it Alderaan? Yeah. Uh. I know because I had that t-shirt for a while that said, looking for love in Alderaan places. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. I also see like that t-shirt that has the weather report for Alderaan. Monday, high of this, low of this. Tuesday, high of this, low of this. Wednesday, just nothing. Nothing beyond that. <laughs> just nothing. They died on a Wednesday. No, just, they died on a Wednesday, guys. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, yeah. If you watch the special edition, there's the completely unnecessary Jabba scene, which I don't think we need to discuss nope. at all. Let's move on. Um, and- well, I, okay, wait. Here's what I will say. Here's oh, my what, God. The podcast is already an hour and a half long. I just know. I just think the only thing I'll say about the Jabba scene, it's not my favorite thing that they added it back in, but I do think that it's very cool to me, the idea that Jabba was a human gangster just like anybody yeah, else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I will say that in the bigger scheme of the Star Wars universe, regardless of your opinion about including the scene and putting mm-hmm, Jabba in mm-hmm. it or not, it was very fortunate for them originally that they did cut the scene. Yeah. Because the huts in general, after Jedi, became such a huge part sure. of the Star Wars universe because Jabba was so mm-hmm. amazing in Jedi that it really did benefit them to cut that out entirely. To yep. just have Jabba mentioned and be this like running thing throughout because in Empire it's mentioned, whatever. Yep. And then the reveal of him in Jedi was so much more... Uh, ultimately satisfying Agreed. and important to the Star Wars universe than having some big guy in a giant coat uh, in Mos Eisley. Yeah. No question about it. A great choice. Uh, but it was a great choice to leave out. Agreed. You know? No, no, yeah. no of, of course. So now we get our first glimpse of the Millennium Falcon. What a piece of junk. What a piece of junk. That is, it, it's such an amazing design. Yeah. And, and we should, again, this is what George Lucas, such a great eye. He has uh, Ralph McQuarrie, one of the concept artists. Yep. And he, uh, that's a lot of how they sold this movie, by the way. It wasn't just Lucas's story, but it was seen concept art. Wow. So anyone trying to sell your stuff, sell your stuff with some visuals. It yeah. really, really helps. Um, and uh, Executives and, aren't the smartest people, so <laughs> you need to help them as much as possible. That's why I quit being one. I was. You're mean, getting dumber you by were, the moment? You were always smarter. Oh, you're so sweet. Stop. 
So the uh, so the Falcon takes up off in the midst of blaster fire. Yeah. Fire shoots off into space. There are big star destroyers there. We jump into light speed again. You can't imagine this today, where we've seen so many amazing yeah. special effects. But that was amazing in 1977. Yeah. Yeah. Now let's go back to uh, the Death Star, where we have Leia and Darth Vader. Mm-hmm. She apparently recognized his foul stench yes get that some of that great lucas dialogue mm-hmm. i recognize your foul stench dad <laughs> well again this is this is where you get into like clearly that's not part of the story at right. this moment at all it doesn't make any sense at all and then we're going to make a demonstration and they make the decision to destroy a planet so lightly yeah i mean because even even for evil people this seems like this should be a big deal i don't mean that it's morally a big deal right but it's just like well, are there? What's on Alderaan? Yeah, <laughs> Who's yeah. there? Like, what's it's? But no, nope, we just wiped that thing out. Four billion souls. Yeah, and we don't spend a lot of time thinking about it, except mm-hmm. that Obi Wan f- feels a great disturbance in the Force. And Leia says no. She's very upset. She's, She's quite upset. upset. She's yeah. I mean, but the, kind of comparing it to yeah, Luke's thing. Yeah, the Luke thing. Yeah, uh, you know, and it is interesting. But even Owen in, the, in the bigger scheme of the Star Wars universe, like this, this destruction of Alderaan. I just kind of like tried to I tried to that's split the difference and be did. like Alderaan yeah but like like uh that's the Dutch way of saying that's the, it. That's the way the Dutch <laughs> say it uh but no I mean this this destruction is something that does we come back to again and again yeah. in different versions of Star Wars and right. it is a thing that is discussed and Leia's feelings about it yeah um are definitely it's, it's definitely something that that we do return to a lot like this definitely was a holy shit they just blew up a planet right right are you all right what's wrong Felt a great disturbance in the force, as if millions of voices suddenly cried out in terror and were suddenly silenced. I fear something terrible has happened. But it's a great line by Kenobi. Such yes. a great line. It's a great moment by Kenobi, mm-hmm. and then we go back to doing some training. Yeah, we got we got uh, Chewie and R two D two playing chess. Yes, let the Wookiee win. Let him have it. It's not wise to upset a Wookiee. But sir, nobody worries about upsetting a droid. It's because a droid don't pull people's arms out of their sockets when they lose. Wookiees are known to do that. I see your point, sir. I suggest a new strategy, R2. Let the Wookiee win. And Luke's got his lightsaber out, and he's trying to defend himself against this thing, and Han Solo's making fun of him, and this is one of the core scenes of the movie. Remember, a Jedi can feel the Force flowing through him. You mean he controls your actions? Partially, but it also obeys your commands. Pokey religions and ancient weapons are no match for a good blaster at your side, kid. You don't believe in the Force, do you? Kid, I've flown from one side of this galaxy to the other. I've seen a lot of strange stuff, but I've never seen anything to make me believe there's one all-powerful Force controlling everything. There's no mystical energy field that controls my destiny. It's all a lot of simple tricks and nonsense. I suggest you try it again, Luke. This time, let go your conscious self and act on instinct. (laughs) With the blast shield down, I can't even see. How am I supposed to fight? Your eyes can deceive you. Don't trust them. And then the magical thing happens. Foreshadowing. Yeah. You see? You can do it. I call it luck. In my experience, there's no such thing as luck. Look, good against remotes is one thing. Good against the living, it's something else. Looks like we're coming up on Alderaan. You know, I did feel something. I could almost see the remote. That's good. 
You've taken your first step into a larger world. Well, I mean, this is where we really get into, you know, like, this is what the Force can do. Right. I mean, you know, like, this is right. where you're really like, the Force is, up until you like, the Force, okay, this is kind of sounds like mystical, whatever. This is mm-hmm. like, you could do some really cool shit. Yeah. Like, right. as a kid, you're like, wait. I could do this with the Force. Right. This is this is awesome. Well, this is what's best about these movies when you get... And I don't mean Star Wars. I mean the sci-fi movies when they have these moments. Like or fantasy movies. Fantasy movies, sure. Fantasy sci-fi movies. When the Guardians got together the first time and had their... When they were all together on the ship and they had their back and forth. Like, that's establishing character, establishing their connection. Absolutely. We're doing that here. In Alien, when they're having the dinner first before the second dinner and the alien jumps out of her stomach, that first dinner is you getting to know them to and know connecting with them. So this is that moment where we brought everybody together and now we're going to have a connective moment right. between this group. Well, and this thing of closing the blast shield and, and, and yeah. Ben Kenobi's description of what the Force is, this rings really right to me yeah uh it's it, there's definitely connection to zen buddhism here mm-hmm. like it, it it's it's diverging from where they go with the force in other movies like here it's like yeah this fits into something that i can get behind yeah. and you know having done martial arts for a long time there's a lot of time doing aikido where we have my students i have them close their eyes that's a, just a normal normal thing to do wow and and i know musicians do it singers mm-hmm. do it all sorts of people do it because it changes your way of thinking and perceiving the world yeah when you close your eyes and i have without question done a lot of technique in martial arts with my eyes closed mm. we even i mean uh when you and i john were in london together yeah. studying theater many 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 years ago many moons ago even uh we had a shakespeare teacher that mm-hmm. did this with us where she uh she made us all do this it was a it was a training exercise for theater but it, it ties right into the force where she took a paper bag and put it in the middle of the room and told us to walk across the room with our eyes open and pick it up which everybody did is not hard and then told everybody to close their eyes and do it and everybody walked like an idiot. Like you, yeah. you yeah. literally, as soon as you close your eyes, you start taking steps and trying to think about it and how many steps you was it. You lose your balance. And you lose You're your right. balance and you can't do it. And then she was like, this is what's wrong with your acting. And she closed her eyes and walked full speed across the room and just bent right down and scooped it up. And she was like, your brain knows where it is. Which I was like, that is some Jedi stuff. What is <laughs> no. But then we all did it. And then you did it again. Yeah. And when you stopped thinking about it, and you just walked across the room, we all just picked up the paper bag, yeah. which is such a silly, you know, actor training thing to do, but that's literally what this sequence is. Like, right. this, is what this, this is what the scene in the movie is all about. Well, and this is, I mean, like, I've had experiences where, like, if someone grabs me and I have my eyes closed, and this is just from a lot of practice in Aikido, mm-hmm. my brain starts to create a mental map of their body. Right. So I can feel... Sounds sexy. I know. Um, so I can feel, like, and my goal is always, I want to feel up through their wrist to their shoulder, down their body to their feet. And if I can feel to their feet, yeah. then, I, then I feel like I've got them. Just don't fuck with their heart on. <laughs> <Don't>, well... <laughs> So many jokes. Okay. Yeah, and I and I when I wore blindfold to beat Christian in the Schmodown, it was absolutely yeah. what happened. All of a sudden, you it's just so your your mind just becomes the thing that's paramount. It's fantastic. So we get out of light speed. Yeah, we end up in this crazy meteor shower. Yeah. Oh, and then we see a, a Tie Fighter. Mm-hmm. It mu- it couldn't have come with us. It doesn't have that range. It's got to be based somewhere. Right. Oh, look, it's heading towards that small moon. That's no <laughs> moon. <laughs> <laughs> and then I think I think we hear the very first yeah. the very first I got a very bad feeling about yes. this. Yes. The first yeah. of many. Yeah. Of many. Many, many, Too many, many. Too many, in my opinion. <laughs> I don't it, it, it becomes like a running the, gag because they say it in Force Awakens well, or try it, to. Yeah, and then it takes me out of the movie at a certain point. Oh really? Yeah. Because oh, okay. now because now I'm aware of watching the movie. Did you feel that way when you saw it the first time? In Star Wars? Yeah. 
No, no, no. That was oh. good. He said no. it was fine then. Oh, I'm you're saying, saying in the subsequent that, movies. I'm saying, I'm saying when when Arnold said I'll be back in 12 movies. Oh yeah, right. Then That's it becomes absolutely a, yeah, fair. Yeah, yep. it just it just takes me out. I hear you. Um, okay. So uh, we get caught in a tractor beam. Yeah, pulled onto the Death Star. By the way, that scene lets you see how how much their budget was limited by what they could actually yeah. make because the plastic thing shaking around you're just like I'm gonna forgive this I'm yeah. gonna have to keep forgiving this it is not a big budget movie no, you it gotta isn't. remember that yeah um, gets pulled to the Death Star they hide down belief beneath Han Solo's smuggling yeah. panel things which come back later in um, Force Awakens yes mm-hmm. and then we have the great I love the guys go on the ship to search around and then coming off and there's the tapping of the the, he- the, the tapping of the helmet to show that uh, the radio's dead. I yeah. love that. It's a great, great moment. <laughs> yeah. Um, we take over the control room, and now we see the first time of R2 being the great Swiss army knife of all things. Yeah. Now, apparently, an R2 can do anything. Yep. Well, also, apparently, according to J.J. Abrams, this is when R2 downloads the uh, map to the Jedi Temple that he shows them in Force Awakens. Wow. Oh. oh. According to J.J. Abrams. Okay. Just so, we're, so we're all clear. When there was the big uh, discussion on why did R2 wake up when he did and where did he get those plans, uh, what is not in Force Awakens but was explained in several Star Wars uh, manuals and in J.J. Abrams interviews was that, A, R2 was just sad, but he eventually woke up and stopped being sad. (laughs) But also, when he uh, gets into the Death Star at this point and is taking control of things, he also just downloads a bunch of things that the Empire has, including some partial maps to Jedi temples. Right. So there you go. Why does the Empire have maps to Jedi temples? Well, because in the newer Star Wars universe that we all live in now, the Empire is interested in having lots of information. I mean, Mm -hmm. in Rogue One, they basically knock out the final remains of that Jedi temple, and Moff Tarkin is like, good, like get rid of those Jedi. We don't want anybody to remember them. Because remember... Like Moff Tarkin says in this movie, the Senate was just recently disbanded. Yeah. So the Senate and everything, like like the the history of Star Wars gets condensed a wee bit, uh, from what it seems. Like when Obi Wan Kenobi mentions the Clone Wars and when they mm. talk about these things that have happened in the past, and even when Moff Tarkin says the Senate is disbanded, the Empire can now the Emperor can do what he wants, yeah. you get the sense that there was like a good time a long time ago. Right. And then it's been bad for a long, long time. Yeah. But once you line up just how old Luke, and, how yeah. old Luke is and when he was born when he and Leia were born and everything right. else uh, the you know the Senate was literally just disbanded like Mon Mothma when she's over on Yavin 4 like she just recently yeah. dipped out and was like alright well there's no more Senate so now we gotta do some stuff so anyways yeah. bigger Star Wars universe but yes this is where R2 is the ultimate Swiss Army knife and also downloads those plans that are gonna lead us to Luke <laughs> yeah, in apparently. episode 8 um, yes. We find out we got we find out where the tractor beam is mm-hmm. Ben says I gotta go do this by myself and then we discover uh, R2 tells them Princess Leia is here. Well, I don't want to run over just real quick. Steve, this moment was really important because Kenobi knows he's saying goodbye to Luke. You're right. And yeah. it's really like this struck me watching it this time around a little more powerfully than before. It just hits him saying goodbye to him. And I always thought he had said that just to kind of say it. I'll see you in a little bit. But he never does. No. And it almost feels like he knows what his path is. Well, and he says, your so destiny lies on another path. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and that, that is so powerful because when that moment happens that we're going to get to in a little bit, it's, I think it, he knew it was coming. Very much so. I, I, I totally agree. Yeah. I, he absolutely does. Well, and George Harrison talked about this when he was getting stabbed 
uh, when his ha- when his house got broken into and he was all- he thought he might die, he started preparing himself for his death as he was being stabbed by this intruder, which is what they teach you in his Hindu practice and, right. and in his uh, what is uh, Hare Krishna practice. It, they teach you to prepare yourself for death because death is just the next step; it's not the end. And so when he was, be- so I think what Kenobi is doing here is kind of it's borrowing some of that spirituality and mythology, what have you, and it's like he's already mentally preparing himself to surrender his body to something bigger to a greater cause to the next step to the force ghost situation so i don't that's what struck me this time no i i, I totally agree i 100 percent agree mm-hmm. um so we discover that the princess is here and luke's got to go rescue her and i love the convincing of han solo it's just a great like yeah yeah she's she got rich money. she got money she got money yo now look don't get me funny ideas the old man wants us to wait right here but he didn't know she was here you just find a way back into the detention block I'm not going anywhere. They're going to execute her. Look, a few minutes ago, you said you didn't want to just wait here to be captured. Now all you want to do is stay? Marching into the detention area is not what I had in mind. But they're going to kill her. Better her than me. She's rich. 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 Powerful. Listen, if you were to rescue her, the reward would be... What? Well, more well than you can imagine. I don't know. I can imagine quite a bit. You'll get it. I better. You will. She better. I'm in. She better. (laughs) Um, So, and we come up with our plan, which is to use Chewie as a prisoner. And they go off. their plan does not go. They don't have any steps of advance in this plan. Well, if they had an incredibly complex layered plan, I'd be super surprised. Sure, you know, one's a smuggler and one's a farm kid. So what are they going to come up with? Well, but that, and that's part of the charm yes. of all of this. And again, Absolutely. I uh, you know I brought it up before, but it's like when you know when you read Harry Potter, you just look at the Ron Harry Hermione mm. relationship, and it is just the it is the proto like this was where this right. this idea came like these three characters yeah. that just bounce off of each other so well and. This this is like this is a ridiculous little kid plan, <laughs> yeah. but in the most awesome way. Like so, when you're a kid, you're like, "Yeah, Chewie's the prisoner. We're gonna go in and do this." And they go in, and it's just like, "Well, that didn't work." And it also leads to the best, my favorite Harrison Han Solo line in the entire movie when he's on the intercom with the yes. guy. Yeah, yeah. Like, We're fine. How are you? Uh, everything's under control. Situation normal. What happened? Uh, had a slight weapons malfunction. But uh, everything's perfectly all right now. We're fine. We're all fine here now. Thank you. How are you? We're sending a squad up. Uh, uh, negative, negative. We have a, a reactor leak here uh, now. Give us a few minutes to lock it down. Uh, large leak, very dangerous. Who is this? What's your operating number? Boring uh, conversation anyway. Luke, we're going to have company! Just like- and, and when he says it, it's just like you, you you would do yourself when you say that extra word. Like, what the fuck did and, I say that? And kind of yeah. to what you were saying earlier, Ugh. I think that like <laughs> like like all everything that happens and all the interplay between Han and Luke and Leia from this point forward, like the that line, the Carrie Fisher, you know, Princess Leia just taking over all the way down to the trash compactor. Like, this is where. This is the this is the Han, Luke, and Leia that everybody falls in love with for yeah. the rest of history, yeah. for the rest yeah. of time. Like, and my suspicion is, how are you? Is not a George Lucas line. No, I'm sure it is. My suspicion is you are correct. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and this is this is this amazing thing is that somehow this movie, it's kind of a weird miracle that this yeah. movie is as great as it is. Mm-hmm. Is that they just managed to do it 
Right. Yep. So uh, we come in, we rest. I'm Luke Skywalker. I'm here to rescue you, which yeah. is a great moment. Aren't you a little small to be a stormtrooper? <laughs> right. Still has it. Put a mind probe in her, in her brain. It doesn't matter. No. She's still going to sass you. She's yeah. tough. I, I, I yeah. love that. Yeah. And well, and this is where Princess Leia really emerges. Yeah. Is in this Absolutely. sequence. With that line, with the walking carpet line, right. with the what's your plan, you know, all right. of this stuff with grabbing the blaster. Yep. Yeah. Shooting what are you it doing? Yeah. Someone's got to get us out of here. Yeah. Oh, it's great. It's so awesome. Yeah. And this is why. It's really sad that Carrie Fisher's yeah. gone. Yeah, but it also know? speaks to Carrie Fisher's contribution to the Star Wars universe. Like Leia isn't written like this. She says like she had a lot of she contributed a lot to the creation of this character, and that's her personality. In that she's not. I mean, you could argue she's not even acting. To be honest with you, because Carrie is such a fantastic, powerful woman already. In that, just even as a young person, because you're coming out of Debbie Reynolds. Debbie Reynolds was no slouch either. Oh yeah. So you know that's that's generational, I, and so yeah, I do think that that Star Wars owes. A pretty significant debt just to Carrie Fisher yeah. as a human being, Absolutely. like just who she was. Mm-hmm. I yeah. mean, she she was so powerful in that, and it is very sad. I, I I mean, I'm just I'm just happy. I'm just feel so fortunate that we got to have her as long as we did. Yeah, yep. absolutely, yep. absolutely. So uh, Carrie Fisher shoots through a door. We jump into the trash compartment, which is <laughs> such again. Like this is one of those as a little kid. Yeah. This is one of the moments that was the coolest yeah. thing in the world to me. <laughs> it's such a great sequence. And this goes to, so we talked, mentioned briefly Hidden Fortress. And by the way, people mm. say that Lucas stole from Hidden Fortress. It's like a ridiculous statement. Yeah, yeah. Um, Hidden Fortress, he might have been inspired by it. Yeah. He probably was. But one of the things, the way that Kurosawa wrote Hidden Fortress, which is a great movie if you ever want to watch it, yep. is he and his writing partners, I think there were four of them, yep. they, went, they would go away to some house out in the mountains. And what they did was they said one Person, one group would get the group into a situation and trap them, and then the other group would then have to figure out how to get out of it, and they would write the next section, and then they would trap them again and hand that back, and they went back and forth. Mm-hmm. And this scene in their trash compactor is so clearly that kind of thing. Yeah. Let's trap them in a horrible situation. <laughs> First with the monster, you know, the creature underneath the, which has right. always seemed really, really gross to me. Oh, yeah. That eyeball. That, that eyeball, eyeball is nuts. really gross. And then now the trash compactor has started. Right. And it's such a good sequence. But it all works so well because also it builds more character development because you have the back and forth between uh, yep. Ford and well, between uh, Solo and Leia back up developing more their connection. And then you have Luke, his troubleshooting skills start to come to the front here in this situation. He's like, how do we get out of this? Uh, C-3PO. I got to get in touch with C-3PO. And so he's figuring this all out. And C-3PO now gets brought back in after being kind of left behind for a little bit. We've had some problems. So and then it buttons with the very funny things. Listen to them screaming. Listen to them. They're dying, R2. Curse my metal body. I wasn't fast enough. It's all my fault. Well, and this is where, again, C-3PO just shines. Yeah. Like, yeah. he is so funny. Yeah. I mean, he is he is just the best prissy companion yes. to have along. And, and, uh, and yeah, and then R2's doing what R2 does. Yep. Like, R2's saving the day. Yeah. Like he always <laughs> does. Yep. yep. Um, we get out of the trash compactor. Um, and now we have Ben at the tractor beam, and we have to talk yeah. to. Him. 
Again, I don't remember what's the name of the guy in Police Academy that does all yeah, the Michael effects? Michael Will, Winslow. I think yeah. I think he got a whole new career. Yeah, really, guys, I'm, I'm this really wait till I do my R two D two scream and break your mic at the end of this podcast. Um, uh, we have to just take a moment to talk about matte paintings. The matte yeah. painting of the tractor beam is amazing, and yeah. the the and this is an art form that has mostly gone away now mm-hmm. with CG and and the detail that they were able to make these three D spaces is just absolutely amazing. Yeah, um, and there's several great ones in this movie, and I love the exchange in the stormtroopers. <laughs> have you seen the new two three sixteen? I don't know. Yeah, I think I'm gonna get one when I get back. <laughs> just a stupid and it goes back and forth. That makes no sense. And and he uses the force. Kenobi uses the force to distract him for a second, so you can yep. run away. And, and do what he does. That's also, I think we need to mention the most important thing about these sequences is those uh, those little those little box droids that are just flying oh, yeah. around the Death Star all over the place. One is yeah. just awesome. like those things. But again, it's those little things that, like in the Star Wars yeah. universe, it, there's no rhyme nor reason to these ri- random right. droids and things. But like those little droids, like again, when you're a kid, you're like. Where are they going? What yeah. are they doing? You know, but, but one of the keys is, is that in, and again, I'm sorry to George Lucas bash, but it just comes up, is that in, when, when Chewie scares that droid, we get a great moment, and that little droid has a character. Right. Um, just adding more things doesn't make it better. Right. It, because the, you're not adding more character and right. moments for us. It's just, there's another thing in the background. That's right. a fair point, Steve. And I, but you know what occurs to me now as we talk about this is like, you could make the case that the birth of nerddom is here like the real the explosion I, of nerddom is this literally movie. that's literally oh, in really? my notes okay so, yeah i 100 yeah. percent agree yeah this is the birth this you is guys, the birth like nerds were nerds before this is the birth yeah. of it yeah well and, and the thing is 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 and this is what i wrote down in my notes yeah. is that the generation of kids that saw this movie are now 40 something yeah and they are the generation in charge of hollywood right now that's a good point and so well not just and not just in charge of hollywood i was at disneyland on monday uh, with a with some with, a, with some friends who have a four year old, mm. and their only goal, the one thing that they had to do, was get their kids signed up for Jedi Academy. So yes. we did it. And when you're watching thirty kids wearing little brown robes, <laughs> being trained by a Jedi, they've all got their lightsabers, yeah. and then they all use the Force to raise the Jedi Temple, where the seventh sister from Star Wars Rebels, Kylo Ren and Darth Vader, come out. And they, you, they all have to fight them using the force and overcoming their fears. And it's like every parent who was raised on Star Wars yeah. is now just raising their kids on Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And it's, it is like a truly amazing thing that you're like, mm-hmm. no brand does this. No, no. brand lasts this long. Yeah. No franchise does this. And it's just, it's just got no signs of stopping. Yeah. Well, and having gone trick-or-treating with a bunch of five-year-olds, none of, most of whom hadn't, they all knew all the characters. Yeah. They knew more character names and costumes and all this stuff than I do. Yeah. I mean, it was just like, oh my God, this is just, I mean, it is, it was funny in, uh, I think it's one of Chris Hedges' books, uh, talks about the fact that pop culture and um superhero mythology has replaced a lot of what religion did Mm -hmm. and that this is certainly true like you know if you quiz your average six-year-old about samson or uh daniel and the lion center things like they don't know anything but if you quiz them about star wars yeah well you know that the the australian government got mad at everybody on their census because too many people were putting jedi as their religion (laughs) (laughs) of course australians of course they all got mad about the census and then they all just kept putting jedi on their religion and the government was like can you please just not 
Can you please not? <laughs> You're not Jedi. You're not <laughs> Jedi. There's no such thing as a Jedi in real life. No, you know what's great? You know uh, what's also great? This is a fantastic point you bring up, Steve. And I think that's why so many, and you, Mike, as well, I think that's why so many people were happy with Force Awakens. So many people are happy with Rogue oh, One yeah. because it's back. Yes, there are people who have issues with the movies and they've been loud critics of the movies. Absolutely. Fuck them. I'm happy. That they we, mostly knocked it out of the park with both of these films, so that we can be in love. We with live this in a universe right now. Again. We live in a universe. Well, and one thing I'll say about Star Wars before we jump back into actual Star Wars yeah. is that every other geek pop culture thing franchise that we all have right now, and we have a lot, yeah. that we're obsessed with, uh, have source material. Yes, it's from the comics. Right. It's from the. It's it's Lord of the Rings, the original right, book. Right, it's right. J.K. Rowling wrote the Harry Potter series. Whatever. Right, right. Star Wars is. I believe the only thing, and it is one of the biggest pop culture things that we have in mm-hmm. the world, mm-hmm. it's the only thing that just started as a movie. There is no source material. There right. is no book that it was based on. There is no comic book. It was inspired by a lot of things. Right. But it's not... Absolutely. There it was is no, movie. It yeah, is from yeah. it, it, it is, this is This thing that we're yeah. talking about today yeah. was the beginning of something that, as we're talking about, I mean, like... In 2019, we're getting a whole Star Wars portion yeah. park in Disney in Disneyland. I mean, yeah. like it is, it is. There's no signs of stopping with the movies coming out and the cartoons and everything. Yeah. And it's just expanding the universe in an amazing way. But this is where it all began. Well, mm-hmm. and you mentioned that people get so upset and and yeah. and take this all stuff also seriously. Well, if it's a religion, yeah, people take that really, really seriously. Absolutely, man. Don't mess with my religion. Mm-hmm. All right, so uh, our heroes have to split up. We have Han and Chewie, and Han does his great. Screaming charge, <laughs> so good, and then runs into guys and like, runs away. Do you get the away. feeling? Do you get the feeling like for this entire section that we're talking about on the Death Star? Right. It's like this was like by the point in the shoot where everybody was like, "Fuck it, let's just do what we want." <laughs> They're loopy. like, just screw it. Like everyone just seems a little loopier, a little right. sillier, and it's and it works really well. Well, and you have this shy director who's not talking yeah, a lot. Right. That's that's when you get a get away with it. So but, yes, I have that feeling. But this Han Solo moment is classic. Uh, comedic moments in samurai films. Oh yeah, Run, the, the the loopy samurai who runs in by himself into the situation around the corner and then comes running back out with thirty samurai coming chasing him. So it's a great little homage that he does throughout the whole film, or like four if it's the original version. Yeah, oh. <laughs> um, still just still just as funny. Kaboom! And then we get to this. We're on a bridge that's been retracted. It's Luke <sighs> yeah. and Leia. This to me swinging on that rope. Yep. This was the moment in the movie theater when I lost my mind. Also, he kissed his sister. Gross. She kisses him. It's on a cheek. Yeah. It's on a cheek. It's well, but it's so clear. I've seen Sarah kiss you on the cheek. There is gross it's just no question they're playing the Luke not only are they playing the Luke attraction to Leia they're playing the love triangle yes they they play it multiple times so like the idea that Leia was sister and that I Mm -hmm. just can't believe that he knew that no no because Luke is like she's beautiful like there's 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 no you don't say that about you fucking sister you just don't so we swing across the rope and at this moment Obi-Wan Kenobi comes face to face with Darth Vader. I've been waiting for you, Obi-Wan. We meet again at last. The circle is now complete. 
When I left you, I was but the learner. Now I am the master. Only a master of evil does. That moment, that scene, every single time, chills still every single time because it is quiet. It mm-hmm. is quiet. It is not all this loopy, funny, madcap uh, slapstick stuff we've seen to up to this point on the Death Star. Everything stops, and we get the serious moment between Vader and Vader standing as a lone figure. Far the shot is great. The way Lucas sets yep. the camera far away from Vader, so we can feel Vader's energy and presence and evil, and then see Kenobi a little closer, and then the lightsabers come on. It's just fantastic. Yeah. Uh, and their fight starts. It's not one of my favorite sword well, no. fights. You know, Alec doesn't, Alec doesn't move that well. No, his spin move is really slow. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 not great. But emotionally and story wise, yes. it's great. Yes, uh, Luke and our gang they make it back to the control room. We're heading back to the uh, the Millennium Falcon, yeah. and that's when Luke sees the fight. Oh, man, we can't win, Darth. If you strike me down, I shall become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. Now, here's the thing: I wonder. Doesn't Darth know about this ghost Jedi thing? He's still a student. He's not an old Jedi master. I mean, if you want the geeky answer that is not my favorite, (laughs) Yoda went on a journey and learned this stuff at the end of season six of Clone Wars. True. And then at the end of Revenge of the Sith, he says that Qui-Gon Jinn came back to him and explained to him how to do this. So really, only Qui-Gon Jinn, Yoda, and Obi-Wan Kenobi know this uh. is the way that it has been retro, okay. uh, retroactively explained. That works. Uh, that uh, you know, Qui-Gon, through the, throughout Clone Wars, Qui-Gon appears to Anakin yeah. and Obi-Wan a few times. And, uh, and Liam Neeson does the voice, so it's kind of cool. That is cool. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so this, this whole idea, and again, I'm not saying this is where we get into sort of the complicated Force mm-hmm. stuff that is not necessarily my favorite, but... Uh, it is actually established later that not all the Jedi knew about this whole uh, mm-hmm. this thing. This thing. Right. When uh, the fact that he becomes just a, a pile of clothes yeah. freaked me out yeah, when I was course, a little kid. That freaked me out. What does a lightsaber do? Does it evaporate you? Like you don't know at that time, right? You don't when you see it. Well, the no, first to, time. no, it was, it was even. But we've also seen it cut an arm off. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah, good so point. Like, to me, it's like well, it's something very strange, something weird happened. But also, it adds to Vader's evilness that his lightsaber could cause something like that. It's your initial oh, thought. Is that your interpretation? Well, that was it was initially when I saw it the first time that his my interpretation oh, wow. was that More this powerful. was a magical Obi Wan Kenobi thing. Because oh. he's becoming, that's how he's becoming the ghost. My interpretation was that he mystically became one with the Force because he was at peace with himself. But that's what I only thought when I was five. <laughs> <laughs> You're so smart, Michael. <laughs> well, you were, you, I mean, you saw this as an infant. So this, you, this you know is pretty more amazing. About the force. Yeah. It's really inside of me. It was you. inside of me the whole time. Uh, what I also think is great about this moment, and this is something I've made this argument before, and I want to say it again, is uh, Kenobi willingly dies. He Absolutely. surrenders himself. And this is a lesson that Luke remembers in Jedi later. When Luke is sacrificing himself, this is my opinion, I may be wrong, but this is what Luke's, Luke, when he does not raise a finger to fight the Emperor, when he is hitting him with all uh. the electronic bolts, the lightning bolts, that is Luke remembering Kenobi's sacrifice in front of Anakin again, in front of Vader again, saying, Dad, do, like, Dad, save me. He's essentially saying, save me, when he's saying, Dad. And Vader is like looking left, looking right, looking left, and then picks up the Emperor and throws him. Luke is sacrificing himself the way Kenobi did because he believes in the goodness of his father. I think that I think there's validity there. I think it makes sense, and I think that this is where the biggest, you know, the thing that I took away after watching Star Wars multiple times throughout elementary school, middle school, and high school was that that is the that is the underlying lesson of all Star Wars, which is you can't use evil to fight evil. Yeah. 
you can't kill to make something right. Right. I mean, that really, aside from the fact that you blew up a bunch of stormtroopers and their TIE fighters and whatever else, right. but like, right. but when you get to these that. big, but when you get to these big moments of like, that if that Luke, and this is more Jedi talk for another podcast for another day, yeah. but like when Luke strikes, Luke can't kill Darth Vader and beat the Emperor. Right. Because as soon as he kills Darth Vader, he is Darth he Vader. Is he Darth is Darth Vader. Vader. Yeah, so exactly. you can't do it. Right. Uh, and I do think that that is, uh, you know, whether intended at the very beginning or very wisely kind of called back to yeah. this moment of oh, Obi-Wan does not kill Vader. Nope. Like he's, he's not going to do it. Nope. And I think that's really, really important. Yeah. But Luke Skywalker sees Obi-Wan's yes. death. And I love he the the this is the one time where blasters seem sort of accurate. Yeah. Is suddenly Luke can hit people and he's angry and it's mm-hmm. really a great moment mm-hmm. of him being filled with rage and them trying to get him on the Millennium Falcon. It's a really, really good sequence. And you can juxtapose that, Steve, with what you brought up earlier about his his acting when he says home oh, versus yeah. his acting here. Yeah. Why? Because the connection to Kenobi is stronger than the connection to Beru and Owen, in my opinion. Uh, yeah, I, I I don't know why it is, but it definitely yeah. you're absolutely right. It's a Luke, whole different thing. Guess Luke wasn't a fan of blue milk. I'm just saying <laughs> the blue milk is, seems to be key. Don't keep it from it's the very academy. Important. I want you to very die. important. All right, yeah. <laughs> um, so then you get an awesome space battle. Absolutely, like a really awesome space battle. <laughs> yes, very much so. Where you really see everybody working together. Like yeah. this is this is the team. Yep. Like this is what yep. Star Wars is about. It's it's Han Leia. Leia giving Han shit, Chewie doing what he does, yep. like Luke, like Luke. Luke shooting everybody, C3PO and R2D2 just kind of like wandering on C3PO thinking that everything's going to go yep. to shit. Like yeah. I mean, this is this is what you love about Star Wars. Right. Yeah. Well, we talked you mentioned Guardians of the Galaxy yeah. and Avengers is like the moment when the team comes together is a great great moment really on is. film. It really is. And I love things like That just so is their relationship. Yeah. And by the way, from what I understand, that was their relationship on set. Harrison oh, sure. Ford was older. He definitely was the I'm the wise guy who right. knows knows my way around with the two. Because Carrie Fisher and Mark Hamill, they're young. Yeah. They're like 1920, yeah. something like that. When they make well, also Harrison has an established relationship with Lucas already from having done graffiti. Yeah. So there's more in that. So, uh, and one, one more thing about this uh, fight with the fighters is the way they did this was... They watched a bunch of old dogfight movies. Totally makes and sense. And a lot of it is frame by frame. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like, you know, World War I movies, World War II fighter movies. That's why those things look like a cockpit. It's yeah. the same thing what you'd see in those World War I, World War II. Yep. Yeah. Well, and the, and the, the, gunning, the gunner things on the Millennium yeah. Falcons, yeah. Uh, a great movie, Memphis Bell, does a great, yeah. if you've ever seen Memphis Bell, for anybody listening, like, that's a great scene. In, in I haven't seen the, that movie since it came out. Oh, it's it so it good. A good movie. It's so good. Um, all right, so we arrive at uh, Yavin. Uh, unbeknownst to us, they put a tracker on the Millennium Falcon. Yep. Uh, so did they expect it to get away? I mean, yeah. Well, they, they said that. Leia said we got away too easily. Yeah. We're being tracked, and of course, Solo was like, "No way! I'm so amazing!" Blah yeah. blah blah. And Vader said, and, and I think Tarkin and Vader had this exchange where he says, "I put the tracker on there," so they know. And Leia, Leia suspects. Why? Because right. Leia is a princess. She's smarter. She's a tactician, military yeah, tactician. Very smart. She understands. Yeah. Um, we have we look at the plans. Yeah. We have a briefing, and as we're having this briefing, the Death Star arrives. Yeah. And this is really, again, this is why this is the movie that moves us into the '80s. Is the climax. Everything is coming together for this climax mm-hmm. in a way that movies didn't really do before. Jaws does mm-hmm. it, by the way. Yeah. Uh, Jaws, you know, Jaws and Star Wars. That's where. Everything is happening right at the right moment. Yeah. At the last possible second, it's beautifully executed. Yeah. 
Um, so we got to go. Uh, we, we, we kind of learned that the only way to beat this thing is small fighters have to go in because we have one flaw that we found. And so Luke suits up and we're going to get on our X-Wings and we're going to go fly away. But we got to sit. We got to talk to Han who's loading up his treasure. Right. It looks like at that moment. Yeah. Han's like, I got my money. I'm out. Yeah. And you're like, oh, man, I really liked you. I wanted you to be a hero, but I guess you're just not. So you got your reward. And you're just leaving then. That's right. Yeah. Old debts I gotta pay off with this stuff. Even if I didn't, you don't think I'd be fool enough to stick around here, do you? Why don't you come with us? Pretty good enough, right? Could use you. Come on. Why don't you take a look around? You know what's about to happen, what they're up against? They could use a good pilot like you. You're turning your back on them. What good's the reward if you ain't around to use it? Besides, attacking that battle station ain't my idea of courage. It's more like suicide. All right. Well, take care of yourself, huh? I guess that's what you're best at, isn't it? Luke uses all the tools in the guilty toolbox. He just does all of it. He Jewish mothers him. He Jewish mothers the hell out of him. And then walks away. And and do you think... Even when Han says, may the force be with you, which is him trying to connect with Luke and apologize, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Do you think that this moment in this film is so archetypal that when it's imitated in other films that we see it coming? Nah. Yes, but no. I like, look. Wait, I, do we see it coming? It ruins it. You said ruins. Does it ruin other films or no? Here's here's the great thing. It ruins about, that moment. It or ruins lessens that, that moment. Do you think it does? Or you're opposing it? You're opposing it. Well, also, it also this might be how I watch movies, which yeah. is like I'm I'm always intellectual a little bit, so yeah, I, I tend to see this kind of thing coming. I, I think yeah. the thing about archetypes is it doesn't ruin it when you know it's going to happen because that's what an archetype... Like, I think, I think what really yeah, is like... That's a great I think point. what, it, what the, really the point is, look, if a movie can surprise you, if a movie can have a character that you do not believe is coming back and then they come back, that's great. Yeah. But what this moment does is it taught a generation of moviegoers that the guy that you like, even though he looks like he's not going to be there at the end, he's going to come back and when he comes right. back, even if you were expecting it, if you did it right and you love that character, you feel great about it. Yeah. That's, yep. You're totally right, and, and it's, it's so important what this movie, because this movie is a mythic mm-hmm. film that follows mythic patterns, and the reason that mythic patterns work is, is we don't care about surprise. Right. It's that we like going on this journey, even if the journey is, because the journey is familiar. Well, that's I what, mean, look, and then taking this, like, look, Harry Potter, sorry, no, uh, no, but, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. Yeah. Yep. Ron and Harry have it out. Yeah. Ron says, screw you guys, I am done with this, and he leaves. Yep. I am not under the impression that Ron Weasley is not coming back for right. Harry Potter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He Han Solo's him. He leaves. And then at the super important moment where Harry's about to like get overtaken by the Horcrux out in the woods, yep. Ron shows up and they're best friends again. Yeah. That is literally the Luke and Han moment here. And they do it in book seven. And, and it's awesome. And it's awesome. Even though I know Ron's coming back. Right. It's still mm-hmm. awesome when he does. You're right. You're right. So my point is that if you do the movie well. It works. Yes. The archetypes work. Because we want to, as human beings, lean into the archetypes and enjoy (laughs) when they show up. Because we, if you were invested in the characters, they work effectively. And this moment, I think, is also important with because it's it once again it shows you the source material that their minds had, George Lucas and Steve Spielberg to a degree when he did Raiders. This idea of the 40s, 50s, of the cavalry coming in at the last minute to sure. save the day, right? Sure. This is what this is with Harrison. Now, okay, Michael, what were you going to say? No, I've got nothing to say. No, no, you've got to much to much to and that was the last time Michael Vogel appeared on The Simpsons. <laughs> that's right. Outlaw thinks you can outlaw me. <laughs> we have, then Leia talks. <laughs> 
then Leia talks to Han. Yeah. All the comments all and the then, time. No, and, <laughs> then Leia talks to Han, and then yeah. Leia kisses Luke. Um, and and the, the we, fuck with Han, by the way. <laughs> yes, absolutely, hundred percent. Yes, hundred percent. Yes. Yes, we load R two D two on the X wing fighters. Man, those R two units, they can do anything. Yeah, yeah. They're very useful to have around. Like you said, Swiss Army. Yep, we take off, and now we go into a great battle. Yeah. Great, great action sequence. It's beautifully choreographed. And we should say, by the way, this is the beginning of ILM. The, mm-hmm. the special effects in this movie are often... One of the things that they had that made the special effects here so unique is that they had motion-controlled cameras. Yeah. It's a new invention which allowed you to do multiple camera moves that would be exactly the same. Yeah. Um, and this is something they didn't have before, and that allowed them to composite all these motion shots the way they never done before. Yeah. Uh, we go in to attack the Death Star. That Death Star model is 40 feet by 80 feet. Wow. That's how big that thing is. That's insane. Yeah. Yeah, and in the redone, like the re-edited one, now you can actually tell the model stuff. Yeah. sometimes sure because it's so cleaned up. It's un- it's unavoidable. It doesn't take away from the movie. It's but it's you can tell. And, and I always feel like you know what? Great design is great design. Absolutely, like it's great design is so much more important. Yeah. and great technique than technology. Mm-hmm. Technology is fine, but it doesn't create art. As in we and saw itself. in the prequels, as we saw in the prequels. Yeah, yeah. Um, although there is fantastic design in sure, the prequels. Sure, sure. So. This is just, it's, it's a perfectly building action sequence. We have the first run come in. Mm-hmm. We have them destroyed by Vader because uh, Vader flies in with his two companions. I love that Vader's TIE fighter is slightly different. Yep. Of course. It's a great bit of design. Then we have the next run come in. And this one, they almost get it. Yeah, they get a shot off. They yeah. get a shot off, but it doesn't mean. And then they get destroyed. Uh, we, have the, we have the Death Star. I like the graphic a lot of the yeah. red coming in of when it can fire. And we're getting closer and closer and closer. Right. And then Luke and his run. Luke apparently is in charge at a certain yep. point. With him and Wedge. And it's time for his run. Yeah, it's a great setup to an and action sequence. If you see the extended edition, Biggs Darklighter comes with him, and Biggs is right. someone that was cut out of the original yep. film, but was a long friend uh, with with uh, an old friend rather with Luke back on right. Tatooine. Back on Tatooine, right? Right. Uh, they used to run Beggars Canyon back home. That's right. Um, Shooting them wall rats. Because in the end, the hero, our hero has to be alone. Yeah. That's what has to happen mm-hmm. at the end. And we have this moment as we're coming in. The TIE fighters are coming behind. The, the Death Star has just reached where it can fire. It's Vader's on his ass. Vader's on his ass. Yeah. He's got his firing computer up. And then we hear... Use the Force, Luke. Let go. It's the best. <laughs> but by the way, and I don't know if this is the extended edition or the original edition, they added more of him saying stuff to Luke before this moment happens throughout the yeah, movie we've heard him a few dies. times we've heard him a few times are those added later i think those are added i don't remember i think and so when he shows up in this moment it's luke doesn't necessarily know how to process it because he's been like kind of looking around when he's hear the voices la- heard the or ben's voice la- the last couple of times and so this time he's not sure how to process because come in this moment and that's when he disables the thing, right? He, he disables, disables the thing. Right. They say, hey, why have you disabled your right. computer? He says, right. don't worry, I'm fine. Right. And then getting these things all the time outright is hard. Yeah. Is that the Death Star is loading up the fire. Right. Darth Vader has him in his sights. I have you not. And then you get... What? Yeah, boom! You're all clear, kid. Now let's blow this thing and go home. That's so awesome. And Harrison's fantastic with that line. Yeah. Just great. Great delivery. It, it, it's one of the great celebratory, mm-hmm. amazing moments in film. Mm-hmm. Gets his shot off. It goes down into the exhaust thing. Yeah. We fly away. Big, huge explosion, which got bigger and bigger over the years as yeah. they continually redid it. 
Galen Urso was right. Galen Urso. Thank God for Galen Urso. Thank God Urso. for Galen Urso. <laughs> Thank God for Galen Urso. Which just, by the way, take a time out for, for years, as awesome as the moment is, for yeah. years, everyone was like, wait a minute, you, you built the biggest death <laughs> machine in the world, and you left an open vent? And like it was the biggest joke, and props to Rogue One yes, they for it out actually to it. going, oh, the guy who designed this was doing it under duress, and this is all he could do. It is one of the like when you watch Rogue One, That's, you're just yeah. like it's very satisfying. Yep. It actually like it it that is one of those great moments that it doesn't detract from what was originally there. It yeah. actually enhances it so that now when kids today watch all these movies in yeah. whatever order, in they whatever watch order they want to watch it, they're gonna go. Well, this is an example of doing well what we sort of complained about with R2-D2 and some of that other stuff Mm. in the prequels is this one works. This makes both ones better. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, and then, as a very smart movie does, once your movie's over, you should be over. And we go to the award ceremony where, strangely enough, due to what I can only describe as racism, Chewie and the droids don't get medals. Oh, my God. Wow. it wow. is. It is true. But, but as a kid, I loved it. Okay, and it's great. all right. Well, and also, let's talk about George Williams. I'm George Williams. George John, Williams. George, John, John Williams and George Lucas's lesser known cousin, who's related to both of them. Uh, no, John Williams. Living score in a trailer here, park, still making. Which is one of the greatest. Uh, you know, like this. This is so triumphant, and everything, and you know it's triumphant because you can look up on YouTube what this scene looks like without the score. Yeah. And it's the funniest thing in the entire yeah, world. Yeah, but like, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, we talked about John Williams in Raiders. We talked about John Williams in Superman. Yeah. We talked about John Williams in Jaws. Again. Yeah. This is because when they made their first cuts of this film, it was terrible. Yeah. And the studio was ready to dump it. They, like, everybody hated the film. And they're two, the two heroes, from my understanding, that come in are Marsha Lucas. Uh, George's oh, wife is the oh. editor. Uh, she, there are other editors too, but right. she comes in uh, not after the first couple of cuts and works on it. And John Williams. Right. And without those two people, I don't think I think the world is literally different. Because right. once you get John Williams in there, suddenly this movie's working. Those are the happy accidents. Well, because I mean, you look at you look at what John Williams has done over the course of his career, and it's amazing. But you look at what John Williams has done. You know, you're you're lucky if a movie comes out and it has one amazing theme. Yeah. If you yeah. have if you have the Superman theme or the Indiana Jones mm-hmm. theme or whatever. Mm-hmm. Star Wars has. The, the main Star Wars theme, it's yeah. got Luke's theme yep. from when he's on Tatooine looking at the two suns. You've got the Force theme. You've got the Imperial March. You've got Leia and yep. Han's love mm-hmm. theme. I mean, like it just the list goes on yep. and on of like iconic music from Star Wars. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. I, I want to say one last thing, Steve. I know we're jumping in. But like, yeah. I think it's, I, they do a great job, too, at the end of the movie of not killing Vader. To let Vader spin off, and he still... Such a good point. I'm so glad you said that. Yeah, I mean, he spins off, and he doesn't get... He's one of those people that survives, and he survives because just in case there's a sequel. Just in case. Well, this is... And it's exactly what they didn't do with Darth Maul. Right. It's like, don't don't kill... You introduce a great bad guy, don't kill him. Although, again, I will say, for anyone who's interested... uh, Watch Clone, Clone Wars, Wars right, right, because right. they did manage to bring Darth Maul back, and not only bring him back, yeah. but actually make him a fascinating character that has become one of the most interesting, conflicted characters mm-hmm. in the Star Wars universe. Who then, just in case anybody uh, is curious, is is does have a final reunion with Obi Wan Kenobi while yeah. Obi Wan is living on Tatooine in Star Wars Rebels. So, the movie comes out. There's nothing like it in history. Yeah. I mean, no one expected this movie to do business. This movie became the biggest box office film of all time until E.T. came along. And people lined up and saw it over and over and over again. I remember being a kid and watching, you know, like the afternoon TV show on Channel 2. And they would have people on like 
like, well, this kid saw Star Wars 48 times. Yeah. This kid saw Star Wars 72 times. <laughs> like, I so remember that. There'd never been anything like that before. Yeah, yeah. A huge reception. That's a lot of money. Yeah. Massive. Times. Yeah, I know. Even when movie tickets were like three bucks a ticket, it I was know. still a lot of money. Yeah. And uh, it's nominated for a bunch of Oscars, and it just sweeps the technical categories. Mm-hmm. It gets uh, John Williams wins for best score, and it loses best picture to Annie Hall. Which is the debate. People have debated this. For decades. Well, and look, it is, here's the thing about the Oscars, and this is where the Oscars are kind of a funny thing that we all love to mm-hmm. debate about and we love to talk about. Half the movies that have won Oscars have been forgotten to time. And they, they not, it's not half. It's, I'd say it's less than half, but a, a, but, but a lot. A, a, yeah. a good chunk of them are movies that came out. You're okay. like, that's a, not that it's a bad movie. No, no, no. Not saying it's a bad movie, but not a movie that is as important to the history of film and the history of pop culture as mm-hmm. other movies that did sure. not win in those categories. Sure. And this good. is probably the ultimate example of that. Um, I, well, it's, it's funny because Annie, it's, this one doesn't feel to me like a crime. Annie Hall is a really important film. It's a groundbreaking film in a lot of ways. Uh, it's not my favorite Woody Allen, right. but, but it's a really, really good movie. This isn't like Driving Miss Daisy or something. You know, where or you Crash. Go, yeah. Oh, you mean in terms of like... Yeah, or How Green Was My Valley versus Citizen Kane. Like, yeah. that's that kind of thing. Well, as I told you, because you haven't seen it, right? I will not see it. It's really good. I don't care. Yeah, I I mean, it's not Citizen Kane. I it's refuse. not Citizen Kane. But yeah, I mean, I, I feel like this should have won. Mm-hmm. But Annie Hall is a good film. People argue Forrest Gump versus Shawshank as well. Or Pulp Fiction. Same year. Yeah, people oh, argue wow, that. that's a year. Yeah. Um, but that's a great year. Yeah. Yeah, and, and Forrest Gump's a great movie. Yes. Um, you could, but, but these are good things right. for cinephiles to have arguments about. Exactly. These are great things to yeah, discuss. And, and that's kind of what I mean. Like, you know, a great movie is a great movie. Mm-hmm. And Star Wars might not have won the Oscar in that year, but in the long run, it won. Yeah, absolutely. You, all you have to do is like, go look around where we, the world that we live in today. Yeah. Michael, tell me what your final thoughts on Star Wars are. I mean, I think I have blue milk. No, uh, <laughs> no, I think that uh, it's kind of like what I was saying before. I, as someone who loves like these big epic sagas of movies that kind of go on and on and, and growing up and now living in this world of Marvel movies and DC movies and Harry Potter movies. I mean, this is this is the beginning of all that. I mean, this is the beginning of so many things that I hold near and dear from like action figures and toys to these epic mythological stories. And uh, this is probably of all the movies that you could talk about, probably the movie that's the most special and most important to me of all the things, you know, animated, non-animated, whatever. I mean, this is this is the template for the way that my movie brain works. So here's my final thoughts on Star Wars. As most of you listening know, I hosted that podcast far, far away. It was on Jedi Alliance for a while. Star Wars is an, is, was my entry into this world of hosting, podcasting, right. all this kind of stuff. Because Christian was the one who came to me and pitched me coming on to Far, Far Away. And then I became a co-host eventually, replacing him and sharing it with Tiffany Smith, then Mark Ross. So to me, Star Wars has, a, has developed a very powerful place in my life. It had a great place in my life until the prequels. I hated the prequels, so the prequels killed it for me for a long time. But coming back to it, as I did two years ago, I've rediscovered the love for it. And through people. People's love for it as well. So this film still holds up. It's a fantastic ride. It's something that is worth passing on generation to generation. And the technical stuff does not take you out of the movie. It does not feel necessarily dated. You can notice it, but it's almost quaint. It's almost fun that you notice it because you've seen already how far it's expanded and how much more technological and CGI-based it has become and then gotten reined in now with the current movies a little more of what happened before that kind of vibe and combination. So for me, this film leaves such a powerful legacy because 
it elevates the genre of whatever it is. And what we've talked about in Cinephiles before, those films that elevate the genre deserve special acclaim because they do something with it that people didn't think was possible. And the fact that it has spawned this kind of following, this kind of respect in the filmmaking community, and this kind of love so deeply with people that people put Jedi on their senses lets you know that this is the legacy of a film from the acting to the directing to the score to the I'm mean, sorry to the photography to the cinematography rather all of it just combines to leave you feeling happy and joyful and there's some negative there's some deaths in the movie but when you're done with the movie you feel hopeful and that's what Absolutely. you would ask for from it's a new like hope. a new hope oh here we go <laughs> here we go so um so I'm going to say something you might take some exception to this sure. um is that I think in terms of influence Star Wars is by far way more influential than Citizen Kane. Is that That's fair? Is that because if you look at Citizen Kane and all the groundbreaking things they do, the low camera angles, the deep focus, sure. the editing style, the storytelling style, you actually don't see those in most films. Mm-hmm. Every once in a while you see a thing you go, "Oh, that's kind of a Citizen Kane reference." Mm-hmm. But if you look at movies today and the way Hollywood is today, Star Wars started that. The idea of the big property, the big adventure, the uh, mm-hmm. merchandising, like all of those things doesn't happen, I think, if it's not for Star Wars. And and that's why I have to put this on my list of great movies that ruined Hollywood. Yes, you do. You know, is that along? We talked about Raiders and Die Hard. We talked about Silence of the Lambs got added to the list. That was unexpected. But mm-hmm. is that a movie that is so influential that it causes so many people imitating it, and particularly today where this time where studios don't make other kinds of movies. They're only trying to get this kind of thing that all comes back to Star Wars. I love the movie. Mm -hmm. It's a great movie. I've watched it. Oh, I can't begin to tell you how many times I've watched Mm -hmm. it, and I will watch it again and again and again, but where it takes us is an, an area that I have problems with. Here's the counter I would say. You can say that about the, that Star Wars does influence more of a, because it's the bigger picture, but Citizen Kane is a is a, essentially an independent movie, and that movie, my opinion, there that is always going to be. How is it an independent movie? Well, to me, to, to me, the because RKO was not a massive studio right. at the time. It is done by Wells, the first time director. He's given final cut, which never happens for first time directors. Almost all never. true, yeah, and, yeah absolutely all true. of this. It's a story based on it's a it's story based on a man's grand life brought down to smaller, all told from uh, other people's point of views. He never gets to speak about his own life. So to me, all of that. Uh, call, makes it an independent movie and it wasn't made for a lot of money so to me all of it sparks an independent movie that's what I've always believed about Citizen Kane is an independent movie that is of a grander scale in terms of its effect sure. right sure. so and, listen and, you, and, know, you, you know I'm you know, giving know, no you disrespect to that, Citizen Kane but I'm saying to you like all the independent movies all the stuff that's come all the dramas that are all born from filmmakers who watch Citizen Kane or a majority who watch Citizen that's Kane right. influence absolutely by. true so there, there's, there's the counter but I don't think I don't think you're incorrect because so many people make these amazing well, movies and maybe the Citizen Kane influence is kind of under the surface yeah, in ways that we that, don't see. That's what I Whereas mean. the Star Wars influence is really... Yeah, it's very overt. Very clear. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's what we think of Star Wars. <laughs> I know it was a long journey. We obviously had a lot to say, but if you have something to say, we'd love to hear what you think. You can visit us on Facebook at The Cinephiles. You can reach me on Twitter at SR Morris. John, where can they reach you? Oh, you guys can always reach me at The Roca Says, R-O-C-H-A on Twitter and on Instagram. Also, the Outlaw Nation podcast every Thursday on the Schmozno Plus podcast channel. Interview numerous people. Steve will be on at some point. I'm sure Mike Vogel will be on at some point. Just talking about a bunch of stuff there. Of course, every Friday on Collider uh, Movie Talk at 10 a.m. on the Collider YouTube channel. And a couple of other announcements coming down the 
Pike, which which I will talk about a couple of possible new shows and new channels I'll be doing. That's pretty exciting. Okay. And of course, you can always listen to the Cinephiles via iTunes, where we'd love to get your reviews. Yeah. You can listen to us on Stitcher. You can wa- you can watch. Well, you won't really watch us, but really listen to us yeah. on YouTube. And we have a new announcement we'd like to yeah. make, which is that the cinephiles is launching a patreon page and for those of you who don't know patreon is where you can become a part of the cinephiles family and contribute and help us to uh to continue to make the show yeah we have some great um giveaways some great gifts some great extra content all that kind of stuff michael pony up 10 bucks right now like which is great stuff to that we have for people who are you know contribute to the show to keep us keep us afloat and keep us Inclu- going including there's even an opportunity <laughs> yes. did you did you just did you just offer up my 10 bucks out of my wallet i feel like you should contribute as a page as, as a as a token to the to, to let the listeners be motivated <laughs> even our guests contribute and that's amazing i'm taking money out of my pocket right now that's wow. wow putting it on the wow. table that is a crisp one too. Yeah, Man, at least nice. it wasn't once. Alexander Hamilton. <laughs> and even one of the things you can one of the things you can get <laughs> is that you actually can suggest a movie for us to yes. do on the Cinephiles. Right. It's one of our offers. If you contribute to the show, uh, ten dollars a month will get yeah. you to pick your own film. For Just, my money, for my money, I would like you to do Troop Beverly Hills, starring <laughs> Shelley Long. Thank you very much. You know what? Take your ten dollars back. <laughs> I cannot wait to hear this uh, Cinephiles episode. Um. And uh, so, if you want to become an official cinephile, just go to patreon.com slash the cinephiles, no dash. That's patreon.com slash the cinephiles. Um, and I think that's it for this well, week. Michael, where they, can they reach you? For oh, you can reach you. me at MKToon, M K T O O N, on Twitter or Instagram. And when is the. Do you have any, pro, do you have any projects you can announce or coming out or anything you're working on that you could say? I anything? got some stuff that's secret that I can't oh, talk right. about right oh, now. Right. But that's definitely good. go check out the My Little Pony movie this October coming to theaters everywhere. Nice. And that's it for this week. We'll see you next time on The Cinephiles. Mm-hmm.